Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Joe Dells and Andrew Velez. And this is now episode 145. In this episode, we are going to preview and give our predictions for every wild card matchup and talk about all the coaches that got fired this past week. A quick Patreon shout out to Riv Mad Ugly, Corey, Max, Freddie, Dylan, Playboy, Orlando, Chris, Charles, Michael, Greg, Cole, On Bloods, Ka, Liam, T Grove, B Money, Ryan, Epic Lankiness, Travis Ball, Aaron Moran, Matthew Jimenez, It's Black Ace, Anthony, BJ, PJs, Langston, Jazzy Juice, Johannes, Ruben, Brian, Ricky, E, Enzo, Sean, Muffins, John, Sean Triplett, Court Cousins, Ben Mack, P. Dot, George, Akari, Mateen, Dave Two Freedom, and Jay Aqua. Good old Jay Aqua, yeah. baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. Is Riv Mad Ugly? Is that new? Is he new? Yeah, that is new. I was gonna say I don't remember hearing that last week. Riv Mad Wait, Ugly. This guy's name's Riv Mad Ugly. Riv that's, Mad his, ugly. that's his name. Yeah, this is Patreon that's so name. Rude. Yeah. You think? What do you think is his? Do you think Funny. his last name is Mad Ugly or Mad is his middle name and Ugly's last name? If I had to really guess, I think he's being mean to River. That being said, <laughs> I hope that isn't the case. I think he's being. I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is who would come up with such a. Such a I might have to make phrase. I might have to make the executive decision to get it changed, but we'll see. We'll see how or we can just say Riv. Show. We can just say Riv. Oh, so yeah, Riv is handsome. That. So he is facts. He's, this guy's just blatantly lying. Yeah, facts. So as you guys can see, we are uh doing the podcast through Zoom once again. Um, we were going to do it in the studio, but Drew is going to Vegas this weekend, I believe. Or when are you leaving? When's your flight? I. I leave tomorrow. It's for my brother's bachelor party. Mm-hmm. He's getting married. Guy's taking a big step in his life, but we're gonna celebrate it the right way. We're going to Vegas. Get a little, get a little, uh, get a little messy. We'll get we'll we'll save those stories for years down the road since no one has to know about those. Yeah, to be on the safe side, so you know, Drew doesn't contaminate contaminate everybody at the wedding. We are going to do this through Zoom. I think we'll probably be in the studio next episode. For the basketball one, and, and next week we will definitely uh, be back. Um, and I'm glad to be back. I, I kind of hate doing this through Zoom. Yeah, oh, without, without a doubt, it stinks. Yeah. The the feel of being in person just way different. The fans feel that energy too. So for hopefully sure. we're back next week. Yeah, and It'll be good though. We now know all the games that are going to happen during this weekend. A wild card weekend. It's one of the best weekends of the year. And I want to start out with this game because I think this this is a toss-up. The Raiders and Bengals. Now, the Cincinnati Bengals are red hot. They just beat Kansas City. Joe Burrow has been on a tear. But the Las Vegas Raiders have won four straight games in a row to get into the playoffs. And they just beat the Chargers in a, in a thrilling game. So what do you think are the keys for this matchup for each team? And, and give me your prediction. Who, you think, who do you think is going to win this game? Man, this is tough for me because I've been rooting for Derek Carr and the Raiders. We talked about it last week, the Chargers and the Raiders game. I was, I picked the Chargers. I was wrong, but I said, like, I'm going to be rooting for the Raiders. I think that they're just a special team this year. And with Derek Carr finally maybe a little bit getting some recognition, you know, obviously his MVP season 
he was talked as, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. But over the last few years, you know, the Raiders have just been dysfunctional. John Gruden really hasn't or didn't step up to the plate like we thought he would. Mayock hasn't been the, the best GM. Um, and I feel the same exact way this week as I do last week. I'm rooting for the Raiders, but I just I don't see them being the Bengals this week. I think the way the Bengals have been playing, especially Joe Burrow, mentioned in the last show, back-to-back uh, games of 400-plus passing yards, four touchdowns, the first time in NFL history. And the Raiders, I just view them as, as overachievers, really. You know, Carr has put the team on his back between Ruggs getting arrested, Gruden getting fired, Waller missing five weeks, having to reshape the entire offensive line in the offseason. They let go of Gabe Jackson, Trent Brown, Rodney Hudson. So just everything that they've been dealing with, and you look at the receivers that Derek Carr's been playing with, like guys like Zay Jones, Deshaun Jackson, Foster Monroe, Hunter Renfro all of a sudden has become one of the better receivers in the league, especially when it comes to just you know, route running in hands, he's turned him into a very viable pass catcher. And there's not many quarterbacks in the league league that's making that happen, except maybe Zach Wilson, who's making Braxton Berrios a thing. But other than that, you know what I'm saying? There's not many quarterbacks that could turn Hunter Renfro into a real viable option. Their defense has stepped up as well, holding four of their last seven opponents to 20 or less points. But I just think the Bengals or the more talented team they are coming off somewhat of a bye week. A lot of their guys sat in week 18. So I think that's going to um, you know, play a part in it. And then the Raiders, on the other hand, are coming off a very emotional game, Sunday night football. So a bit of a shorter week. They're playing late on Sunday. They have to travel on the road. I believe they're playing on Saturday. Yeah, on the road in Cincinnati. Um, when they played in week 11, I thought the Raiders played great in the first half. They were able to get to Burrow, knocked him down a few times, were able to pressure him able to contain Mixon, only had 26 yards in that first half. I thought the offensive line played great. And even though they were there defensively, they only scored six points in the, fir- in the first half, 13 points in the whole game. So we look at this game and I'm like, hey, if the defense can play well, they have a chance. But we saw that a few weeks ago. The defense played well. Derek Carr and the Raiders really weren't able to step up. So I, I think as long as the Bengals can do basically what they did in week 11. We're able to limit them. This time they will. You know, Waller played in week 11. So as long as you're able to somewhat limit Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs has been getting it going. But I just look at this Bengals team. I think they're a little bit more talented. I would take Burrow over Carr right now. Their weapons are obviously better than the Raiders. So I got the Bengals in this one narrowly. It wouldn't surprise me either way. I got the Bengals win this one 27-21. Are you, are you telling me you think Derek Carr has made Hunter Ren for what he is? Yeah. You think so? Sure. You think yeah. so? I think that. I mean, Hunter Renfro absurd. became the number one receiver once Waller came out, and he's looked pretty damn good replacing him. I think Hunter Renfro is just that damn good. I think he's un- he's an underrated receiver. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you look at what Derek Carr has done this season, so I can understand where Joel could say Derek Carr has definitely influenced Hunter Renfro and his production. Over a thousand yards, seven plus touchdowns this season. He's been fantastic for them. That being said, it's hard to look at Hunter Renfro's game and not give him a lot of the credit. He is a poor man's Cooper Cup at this point. His route running's mint. His hands are fantastic. So I give a lot of credit to Hunter Renfro, but you can't overlook what Derek Carr's done this season. One of the league leaders in passing yards. I believe he's second in the league. Doesn't have the touchdowns because he doesn't have the touchdown threats on this offense to really be effective in that category. That being said, moving the ball, this guy Derek Carr is doing it with the best of them this year. I look at this game and it's really, really tough to choose a winner because I have been, 
I, after a hot start to the season, these last couple of weeks have been brutal for me. The Raiders, I, I counted them out week in, week out since I want to say week 15, and they have just continuously proved me wrong. They've been playing great football of late, shocking the Chargers. They played fantastic. I wouldn't say their defense stepped up. In the first part of the game, the, the defense definitely played a key part, but down the stretch, Herbert was just lining them up, clutching it up on fourth, fourth downs, converting, I believe, six fourth downs. Uh, unbelievable uh, accomplishment for Justin Herbert. Unfortunately, wasn't able to come away with the victory, even though I do believe he, he gave a 10 out of 10 effort. He did everything he could for his team to win that game. But back to the Raiders. Their defense has been very good this year, very low-key good, giving up only 333 yards per game. They have been sneaky good in the secondary. That being said, I don't see a possibility where Joe Burrow gets stopped, especially with this hot run that he's on. Now, Dan Orlovsky shared an interesting stat, and I know Joel showed, uh, Joel had seen it because he, we're in a group chat with one of my friends, and he sent this to me. He has six career games of have to get it done. He's played against Bama, Georgia in the SEC title, Oklahoma in the semifinal, Clemson in the national championship, and this in this season, week 16 against the Ravens and week 17 against the Chiefs. In these games, Joe Burrow is 6-0, has a total of 2,669 yards, average of 444 yards per game, 27 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, in terms of being that dude and having that kind of built-like-that nature, Joe Burrow is one of the 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 most like that quarterbacks that I look at in, in terms of I need to trust the guy. Joe Burrow has that confidence early in his career, and that is dangerous, especially with a young core like this one. They're going to be here for multiple years with the core that they have. Uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Joe Mixon has been amazing this year. Uh, Uzama has been fantastic. The, the connection that Joe Burrow and him have at that tight position where there's not that many great talents, Uzama has been more than serviceable for the Bengals. And their defense is just a little bit worse than, than the Raiders right now. They're giving up a total just above 350 yards per game. And if it's going to be a shootout, I don't see a possibility where the Raiders can, can outscore the Bengals. This is one of those games that I look at, and I wish I can pick a winner for, for both. I wish, I wish both teams can advance and they can both go on to the next round. I look at the Raiders and what Derek Carr has went through. My heart just sinks to my stomach. I, I feel bad for the dude, all the adversity he's went through to finally reach the playoffs and this moment. The Raiders' last playoff win was in 2002. But then I look at the Bengals and what that franchise has gone through. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991. And many speculate that that playoff game actually cursed their franchise because to, to let everybody remember this moment, 1991, the Bengals faced the Raiders in the playoffs. They beat them, but that was the game Bo Jackson suffered a career-ending injury. And since then, the Bengals haven't been able to win the playoff win, win a playoff game. And a lot of people have attributed it, attributed that to the Bo Jackson curse for ending his career on that day, that divisional playoff game. I rewatched the Raiders and Bengals game yesterday. And I was surprised by what I saw. I saw a lot of things that really favor the Raiders. I know if you look at the final score, the Bengals beat them 32 to 13. You look, oh, it was a beating. There's nothing to look at here. But the Raiders held them in check. Their defense held them in check. Uh, the secondary was very good against the, um, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. 
you had Riley Reef play that game who, who started, who's not going to play for this game. Their backup right tackle is going to play Prince. And in that game, Riley Reef, he couldn't contain Max Crosby. Max Crosby was getting after Joe Burrow every single time he wanted. It wasn't until they started bringing Zama into chip where he was kind of getting contained a little bit, but he was still getting his way. The offense, I thought, moved pretty well um, outside of outside of the running game. They couldn't really establish the running game in that game. I look at this. I look at this game, and I just think it has all of the recipes for an upset. And it saddens me to say that because I want to see the Bengals advance. I want to see them win this game, but I just don't think they will. I have faith in the Raiders. I think the key for the Raiders to win this game, just get after Joe Burrow. If they can get after Joe Burrow, they'll be fine. And I think they'll do that. Also, I look at Hunter Renfro versus Mike Hilton, who's the slot corner for the Bengals. Just a couple weeks ago versus the Colts, Hunter Renfro was picking apart Kenny Moore, who made the Pro Bowl. Hunter Renfro was picking him apart. I think he wins that matchup. I don't see any linebacker that can cover Darren Waller. And Derek Carr just has to play mistake-free football. The game in Week 11 was close. It was a very close matchup until Derek Carr threw a pick, and it gave the Bengals very easy, very little field position to work with, and they were able to score at ease. Derek Carr has to limit his turnovers, but for the Bengals, I think they just have to help Prince out. He's a backup right tackle. If you leave him one-on-one with Max Crosby, he's going to get dominated. And that's a matchup they're going to lose. And if they lose that matchup, they're going to lose the game, in my opinion. And I think they can't call longer developing routes on the Raiders. The Raiders are one of the best teams at creating pressure without blitzing. So they're going to get after Burrow fairly quick. And if they're calling these longer developing routes, I don't think Burrow's going to have the time to make his read and to make the correct play. Now, my prediction for this game, I think... I think the Raiders win 20, 20 to 14. I'm picking them to upset the Cincinnati Bengals. And it, I just think Prince won't be able to block Max Crosby. I think Max Crosby absolutely dominates this game. The Raiders are the 13th best pass defense. The first time they played, yes, the score was lopsided, but Joe Burrow only threw for 148 yards and they struggled throwing the ball that game. And I think the Raiders offensively will do just enough to win the game because the Bengals don't have linebackers to cover Waller, and I don't trust their slot corners against a guy like Hunter Renfro, who has really come on as of late and solidified himself as Derek Carr's primary target when Waller's not able to get it going. So, you know, I'm picking the Raiders this game. Since 2014, Derek Carr has the most wins as the underdog. I think this game will be one of those wins, and it will add on to his resume. I just have a feeling the Raiders are going to win this game. This is the biggest toss-up of the week to me when I look at all of these games. So I'm not, you know, opposed to saying the Raiders could win. The one thing that interests me about this Raiders team all season is their usage of Waller. You brought him up a lot, but we saw week one, he had 19 targets. He was the focal point of the offense, and we all thought, well, this is how the offense should be run. I mean, given this is with Ruggs and Gruden and Shore, but even still, you look the rest of the season – since week one, he had one game of 10 or more tar- targets. And I know he's been in and out of the lineup, but he's played about 10, 12 games. So even though Waller is by far their most, their best weapon, he's been injured. So I, I don't know how you know effective he's going to be. Last week, he had nine targets, was only able to have two catches for 22 yards. So even in this high scoring game where they put up 35 points, Waller still wasn't much of a factor. 
Defensively, sure, you have to hone in on him, and maybe that takes away, you know, and allows more one-on-one coverage to Hunter Renfro, one of the speedy receivers on the outside. I think if the Raiders, one, if Darren Waller is healthy enough to be regular Darren Waller, that, that's number one. But if they could finally use him in the correct way, and he should be peppered with targets. He's a mismatch. Linebackers can't cover him. They're too slow. DBs can't cover him. They're too small. So if they could finally use Waller and in the correct way and really, you know, ignite this offense, and then you have Hunter Renfro underneath, you have Zay Jones and Deshaun Jackson take the top off of defenses. You're looking at the game a little bit differently, but I just don't really trust the Raiders right now, the way they've been using Darren Waller over this season coming into this year. Me and Drew both agreed, you know, like Darren Waller is probably the second best at best tight end in football. But right now you, you can't even make the argument he's top three. So the way they've been using him this season just been a little bit questionable to me. So although he is one of the most talented tight ends in football, I, they've just been using him kind of weird. So that, that's the only thing I would really push back on there. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Raiders are able to come up on top here. They, they have a really good quarterback. I think the head coach is going to, unless they get blown out by like three touchdowns, I think they bring back their head coach and he's there for next season. He gets an extension. So he's playing for his job. The players obviously like him. That, that makes me think they're going to try their best. Um, but I also know Joe Burrow wants to get his first playoff victory and just get that over with. I think the players... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joel. Joel. It's all right. I I think the players like him so much because they never wanted Gruden to get fired in the first place. Rich Basaccio was Gruden's right-hand man for like 20 years. And the same staff Gruden brought in, those are the same guys in the building right now with the Raiders. You heard Darren Waller come out earlier this year when Gruden was fired. And Darren Waller said, we all make mistakes and Gruden helped me change my life. And for that, I'm always going to be grateful to him. So I think these players, they're still very attached to John Gruden. I don't think that has just went away. Sure, John Gruden has been fired, but I think the players still really like John Gruden. And if it was up to them, they would have never let him go as a head coach. Just your frozen. I know he had something to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think he is frozen. Yeah, I was waiting for him to talk, and I just love seeing him on the screen here. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how the – you back, Drew? I, I think you, we lost you for a Sorry. Second. Yeah, no, my, my connection has been very spotted. I've been trying to, to, to deal with it while you guys speak, but there's going to be moments like that, and I apologize for that. That being said, I feel, to, to go back to what you were saying, Joel, Darren Waller earlier in the season had the unfortunate position of being the Raiders' best weapon at the tight end position, and there was not a wide receiver on the roster at that point in time that could draw away attention from Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro now being a solid option in this offense, it, I feel like it'll allow the game of, of Darren Waller to open up a little bit. Last week is a little bit of an anomaly. Neither Hunter Renfro nor Darren Waller killed it in the yardage, but you still had Hunter Renfro have two touchdowns. The Chargers secondary is their strength, and it showed. That being said, I feel like against a Cincinnati Bengals defense that their secondary is a little bit iffy to a degree. They they do have the talent. Wuzier solid. Uh, Hinton, uh, excuse me, Mike Hilton is pretty solid as well. That being said, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, Darren Waller will benefit from Hunter Renfro, and I feel like that will ease in the game plan a little bit. But regardless of that, it will be hard. Joel, you're saying that you think that they'll score 14 points. I can't see a world where that happens. I think that it, it, yeah, I mean the the way that this offense has been clicking of recent, 
to hold them to 14 points would be a miracle. And then if that's the case, then you, we have to start looking at the Raiders as being Super Bowl contenders. Because in my opinion, the Bengals have an offense to compete for a Super Bowl. But ultimately, Joe Mixon is going to play a key part in this game. If, if the Bengals really want to have a, a, a firm grasp on this game, they need to get the run game going. They need Joe Mixon to have his way. The, if there is a hole of this Raiders defense, it is their rush defense. Bottom 20 in the league uh, when it comes to, to defending against a run. And Joe Mixon's been a top five back this year. Statistically, eye test, you just look at it. He has everything you want in a running back, can run the ball through the tackles, outside the tackles, can catch the ball efficiently. Joe Mixon's going to be a key part of this offense. He needs to be a key part to this offense. If the Bengals want to have the success, I think they will have. I mean, in their first One second, I have a quick question for Drew. Um, why do you think this year Darren Waller struggled when last year they've had the same personnel? He was dominant. I think that it took the league a little bit to adjust to the fact that he is faster than everyone else. And now we're starting to see personnel like Derwin James take that task of defending Darren Waller. Their number one defending option on the secondary is now playing defense on Darren Waller whenever he's on the field. We saw week one and they were the Ravens game plan was not centered around stopping Darren Waller. And that ended up, that ultimately was one of the most terrible mistakes because Darren Waller is easily the best offensive weapon. 19 targets week one. That's what we had expected throughout the entire of the season. They saw that game plan. They realized, Hey, Let's try and isolate this guy. We have a strong chance of stopping what the Raiders are doing. But to a degree, the Raiders have benefited from, it's crazy to say, Darren Waller being out because now they don't rely on Darren Waller's production to have success on their offensive game plan. We're starting to see Josh Jacobs really take a firm grasp in the backfield, being super efficient when the ball's in his hands, receiving or running through the tackles, running outside. Josh Jacobs has been great for them. And then Hunter Renfro, now you have a real reliable wide receiver option, and I feel like it only benefits Waller. That's fair. Looking at the first match between the Raiders and the Bengals, at halftime, the score was 10-6. to it, it, was, it was a grinded-out defensive game. I know when you look at the Bengals and their offense and Joe Burrow and all the receiving weapons – and Joe Mixon, it's hard to believe that they can be held to 14 points. But the Raiders did a damn good job. And what really killed them in that game was Joe Mixon. He had two touchdowns, rushed for over 100 yards. And his touchdowns were really game-breaking plays. I mean, the offensive line didn't give him much to work with, and he just took it to the house. And Joe Mixon had some fantastic runs in that game. I just think that this Raiders team, much like the Bengals, are on a hot streak. You You look at the Bengals... They just beat Kansas City. But the Raiders just beat the Colts. They held them to 20 points. And if you look at the game before the Chargers, every the, on their four-game win streak, three of their opponents, they have held under 20 points. And I, I think that can continue against the Bengals. They have a high-powered offense, but I do think the Raiders right now are just playing with a, with a chip on their shoulder. And the Bengals' offensive line is really going to be key, and I, I don't think they can stop Max Crosby. Max Crosby is somebody who I think can completely wreck the Bengals' game plan and make them play differently than how they're accustomed to playing because he's that he's that good of a player. Sure, Crosby's been a stud this year, taking a huge step up. And now the next game, the Patriots versus... Bills. Now they split in the regular season. The first one, the Patriots won when Mac Jones only attempted three pass attempts. Then the very next game, the Bills won. It was a much more uh 
significant statement win for the Bills because I, I didn't really think it was much of a close game in that one. It felt like the Bills controlled the majority of the game. The Bills are on a four-game win streak heading into this game, and the Patriots have lost three of their last four. Do you think the Patriots somehow upset the Bills in this one, or are you taking the Bills? This is pretty easy for me, and, and it's ironic because I've been extremely down on the Bills early in the season to mid part of the season. I needed them to get a run game. That's the only thing that was holding me back from going all in on the Bills. If the Bills get a solid running back option, this will be the scariest and most dangerous team in the AFC, in my opinion. I truly believe the way that they have cooked up lately, the way that they've been utilizing Devin Singletary out of the backfield, the fact that Josh Allen's rushing impact has had as strong of an impact as it has had on these most recent games, I have to to acknowledge when I'm wrong. I have to admit that Josh Allen's rushing impact game can be enough for the Bills to have success so long as they continue to utilize Devin Singletary the way that they have. And it's been working for them lately against the Patriots, whose issue is rush defense. You saw just this past weekend, week 18 against the Dolphins, where Duke Johnson ran absolutely crazy on them. Average over five yards a carry. Duke Johnson was one of the main reasons why the Dolphins did come away with the W there is going to be a serious issue if Josh Allen and Devin Singletary are both clicking. I have no doubts with Josh Allen coming to play. The only thing that scares me a little bit is that this game is going to be played in zero to one degree weather. So it's going to impact both teams. And from what we saw the first time these two teams matched up, it was a lot of Patriots running the football. And we know the Bills' weakness is also rush defense. And Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson sprinkle a dash of Brandon Bolden in that are are arguably the best running back duo trio that are in the playoffs right now. I do believe ultimately the Bills are playing too hot football right now. I think the Patriots defense is starting to lose its steam. And so long as Devin Singletary is getting the uses that he has been getting of late, I do think the Bills come away with this W. The Patriots to me, overachieved this season and what they did this year they do they have earned nothing but respect for me mac jones has taken great strides in his in his game from week one to now i just ultimately think that their time is up and the bills are just the hotter team yeah i'm interested to see what joel says here because i know he i believe he has different opinions of both of us drew so joel why don't you go (laughs) all right what do you wait what do you think i'm gonna you think I'm going to pick the Patriots to win this game? I, I think you're on the pass side. Am I wrong? You are completely wrong. Wow, okay. he's okay. falling okay. off. I'm not what falling happened? off. It's just, for, for well, for one, to begin the year, I picked the Bills to make it out the AFC. And are they Josh Allen-centric? Absolutely. They're still Josh Allen-centric. But they're just playing better football right now, and I think the Patriots, to a degree, have gotten figured out. I mean, you talk about Mac Jones. You, you made a statement there, Drew, that I didn't agree with. You said Mac Jones has gotten better from week one to now. I don't think so. I think he's regressing right now. He's hit a rookie wall. Like I see Mac Jones, he's hit a rookie wall. It, his last four games, he had he has completed 60% of his passes, which is down from his usual number. He has six touchdowns to five interceptions. And take notice into this that one of those games was against Jacksonville, 
where he threw three touchdowns and no picks. So against the other three teams, against the Dolphins and the Bills, three touchdowns to five interceptions, I think he's hit a rookie wall. And it's not entirely his fault. We know the Patriots have a great system, but because the Patriots have such a great system, people like to overlook that they just don't have much talent on the outside. If Kendrick Bourne is your best receiver or Jacoby Myers or whoever, it's really 1A, 1B kind of guy. You know, they're good receivers, but they aren't game-changing. You can't trust them to win one-on-ones consistently. And Hunter Henry, he's an okay tight end, but he's very inconsistent. And Jonu Smith hasn't been what he's been with Tennessee in New England. So I think the Patriots have hit a wall with Mac Jones. He's hit a rookie wall. And you look at their defense— It hasn't been very good. They gave up 33 to Miami. When you're giving up 33 points to a Tua-led offense, something something is wrong. There is a major problem. Sound the fire alarm right away. You give up 33 to Buffalo, then 27 to Indy. So these past four games outside of Jacksonville, the Patriots defense has also gotten exposed in each aspect. Versus the Colts, Jonathan Taylor running all over them. Then versus the Bills, Josh Allen passing all over them and having three touchdowns. So I think that, and versus the Dolphins, it was a little, it was a mixture of both. So I think the Patriots have hit a wall. There was a point in the season where they were the hottest team in the NFL, but I think that's come to an end. The Bills have ran for over 100 yards in five straight games. So that's a good sign by them as well. Even though I don't think they need to run the ball to win, It definitely, it sure does help a little bit to keep defenses on their toes. But ultimately, the Bills are the better team. Josh Allen is the better quarterback. And they're just playing better football right now. I'm glad if you guys are watching the YouTube video, you might have saw me smiling before when you guys were talking about Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. I'm glad you came around, Joel, because I remember earlier in the season, we had to look up Kendrick Bourne's stats because you guys were telling me he was this really good receiver, and I'm over here whoa, saying he's whoa, a guy. Whoa. He's Can a guy. Drew, Drew, Bourne, Drew. You're the he's guy. more Bourne than a guy here, man. I had to tell both of you guys not these please. outside weapons are not that good. You told me Keelan Cole was better, bro. Maybe that was wrong, but Kendrick Bourne's still not good. I think whoa, he is right. good. He's he is right. good. He's fine. He, he, he's is guy. He, he's a, is you he know a, what I'm saying? He's okay. Is he a number one? He's not a number one, but he's he's a good receiver. Why can't he be a number two? Why can't he be a number two? He's not number two. So you tell me you put him next to Stefan Diggs, he can't excel as a number two? He could be fine. He's not going to be extraordinary. He, he's a good number two. I, I would like him as a number two. He's not a number one, but as a number two. As a number, I wouldn't be thrilled. I'd be fine if he's a depth piece for me, but I don't think he's a number two. But that's regardless. We're not getting into a Patriots wide receiver room debate here because I think we all agree they, they don't have great wide receivers. They're, they have guys. Um, but to move on into this Bills-Patriots game, I was a little surprised, Joel, because I, I thought you were going to be on the pad side here, but it's going to be a clean sweep back to, uh, in this game. I also think the Bills are going to win. I'm not as worried as the weather as you are, Drew. If there's going to be high wind precipitation, okay, fine. You have a point. Zero-degree weather, as long as it's not windy, rainy, the ball's not slippery, I'm not that worried. Buffalo is used to playing that weather, and so is New England. So I don't think it's going to impact those teams um, you know, as much as we're expecting, unless for some reason the weather changes and we're expected to have 20, 30 mile an hour winds, then things could change there. But I think this game is going to be a lot like we saw in week 16, Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. He threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher for the Bills. I'm not thrilled about it. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of early years of Big Ben where he was taking a ton of hits running the ball. And we saw later on in his career really, you know, really impacted him. So I'm hoping next year, like you said, Drew, they could get a really good running back in there. So it takes a little bit of stress off Josh Allen and his body because he's a 
a special quarterback. I want to see him keep playing. Um, and, you know, the Pats, they they did an all right job in terms of nothing was over the top. Josh Allen was only completed one pass of 20 plus air yards um, on throws, 19 air yards and less. He completed 83 percent of his passes. So it wasn't a lot of over the top stuff, you know, burning guys with Stephon Diggs or Gabe Davis or anything like that. Um, the the whole line played well as played well as well. They only allowed 11 pressures, zero sacks. And Joel's right. Mac Jones has definitely rested over these last few weeks, including that game against Buffalo. He completed less than 50% of his passes, only 145 yards, two interceptions. So uh, I don't really know what's going on with Mac. I think everyone kind of got on his bandwagon too quick. I said it a few weeks ago. This is what we were expecting from Mac. We knew coming into the season, he's the most pro-ready quarterback. He's probably going to look the best, but he also probably has the lowest ceiling. That doesn't mean he could not be a Pro Bowl quarterback and take the Patriots to go and win playoff games. But he just he doesn't have the same ceiling as a Josh Allen or, you know, these elite quarterbacks. So I do agree that Mac has regressed as well. Um, when I look at the at the Bills team, though, and just how both of these teams are trending, Joel, you said it. The Bills are on a four game win streak, including that victory over the Patriots. During that win streak, they really dominated both sides of the ball, scoring no less than 27 points while not allowing more than 21 points. The Patriots, on the other hand, although they were on a seven game win streak midseason, they've lost three or four now, including a rough loss to the Dolphins. In week 18 that we just saw, Tua only had 100 yards, but they put up over 30 points. That's just not something you want to see against a subpar offense all season. And over the past four weeks, you already mentioned it, so I wasn't going to say that. Um, but, Matt, yeah, six to five touchdown interception ratio. The Patriots are going to have to play perfect football if they want to somehow come away with this game. Matt's not going to have to have any turnovers because Josh Allen could throw an interception or two. But I also know that Buffalo has an explosive offense and they can score quickly. While on the other hand, the Patriots can be much more methodical. They have to go on 10 plus play drives to really make scores happen. So I got the bills in this one. I think they went comfortably something like 30 to 20, 28 to 20. Um, I think the bills won't have much of a problem handling new England. I just want to say really quick that I did miss misspoke. I misspoke. I said strides when I just meant to say he had a, he had a solid year and he definitely showed that he could be an NFL quarterback. But ultimately, you guys, what you guys said was 100% correct. Didn't want to interrupt you guys. I figure I'd just say it now. The wheels fell off for this entire New England team. Outside of the run game, the the passing game has stalled because ultimately you guys already went over it. The wide receiver, the the tight end options are just not good enough. As good as Hunter Henry has been for them in the red zone, to get to the red zone, it is very reliant on the two running backs that they have back there. And of recent, Ramondre has been struggling with some injuries too. So Brandon Bullen has had to step in and he hasn't been bad by any means. He was actually their leading rusher last week. But I've been very consistent on this. I am not the highest on Mac Jones. I just think as of right now, You can't look at these two teams and just think that the Patriots are going to come away with this win, given the fact that Bill Belichick's the head coach and he's just one of the smartest, if not the smartest football mind that there is around now, currently in 2022. The Bills are just one of the hottest teams in football, both AFC and NFC. And that's scary. You look at at last season, the Bucs, it took them a, a certain amount of weeks to finally turn their season around. And once they had that game against the Chiefs, it seemed like something clicked after that first quarter. And the hottest teams end up going to the Super Bowl and sometimes winning the Super Bowl. And the Bills are looking like one of those teams. I don't want me taking the Bills to take anything away from what I've said about Mac. I'm still very high on Mac Jones. I just want to make that clear. And I still easily think that 
he is going to be the best quarterback out of Alabama, at least of the quarterbacks that are currently in the NFL. So Tua and Hurts, Mac Jones is still the best one out of all of them. The Patriots just have to play a certain way to win football games. They have to run the ball. They have to have the lead. And they have to really just rely on their defense to hold offenses afloat, you know. But they can't play from behind. I don't think they're built that way or they're geared towards that. That's why I think the Bills have this game. And I think the Bills are looking at the Patriots like, we just want to make Mac Jones beat us. If we can hone in on the run and we can make Mac Jones beat us and target Bourne and Aguilar and Nikhil Harry and Hunter Henry, then we'll be fine in this game. I think the final score will be 24 to 13. I got the Bills in this one. And now on to the NFC, the Eagles and the Buccaneers. So the first matchup, the Bucs beat the Eagles 28 to 22. And I've heard a lot of talk about this game and how there could be some potential upset here do any of you feel that way before we get into the upsets you said something very interesting and people are going to think that i'm here going to defend to a tongue of ilo of course but here i'm going to actually defend joel's boy jalen hurts you said that mac jones is easily the best alabama quarterback this season yeah he is jalen jalen hurts this year for total yards has more total yards than your boy Mac Jones, has more total touchdowns than your boy Mac Jones. His completion percentage is lower. I believe Mac Jones's is around 67. Oh, Hertz is an overall Hertz is an overall worse passer than Mac Jones. I agree with that. That being said, on a hundred less attempts, you have Mac Jones have 3,800 passing yards. You have Jalen Hurts with 3,100 passing yards. They both average the same yards per attempt. 16 to 9 interceptions. Your boy Mac Jones had 22 to 13 interceptions and had a total rushing of 784, accounting for 10 total touchdowns. It is not as obvious as you're making it out to be. I feel like we need to respect what Jalen Hurts did this year. He had a baby Lamar-esque type season. He he showed out for them, no doubt. Baby Lamar-esque. Baby I'm not Lamar's saying he's very fine. That's no, more than man. fair. Baby Lamar. Thank you. See, see this, this you. is this was happening. What's happening is that Jalen Hurts, he took the Eagles to the playoffs and because nobody was expecting it outside of me because I was Again, the, I'm not I, Hold on. Before you say what you're going to say cuz you're right. You're 100% this, right. This isn't, this isn't even towards you though. This this isn't towards you. No, no, I'm just stating a fact. I don't believe Jalen Hurts is a great passer. He's not a great passer. He's not a good he one. Is, He's average at I was going to say he, uh, 100% agree with you there. But in terms of the totality of this season, you look at the Eagles roster, you look at New England's roster. New England's roster was more ready to, or or is more centered around being a more complete playoff team as opposed to the Eagles. You had Jalen Hurts shoulder the offense the entirety of the year. And that's true regardless of what you want to say passing-wise. Rushing the football, Jalen Hurts said, come on, boys, let's go. We're going to do this together. I mean, bro, this Hurts is, is out against Dallas, and they lose by 30. Like, it, it wasn't even – we're not and, even talking and I'm about not saying that, here. I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts plays that game and they and they win that game. It's a little bit closer huh? than them getting wait, smoked Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They faced the Cowboys week two or week three, and they got smoked. The offense the, is different. The, the correct. The Eagles were not what they are now. now. The, the reason the Eagles got smoked in week 18 is one, Dallas is just a better football team. But two, the Eagles, after getting Devontae Smith, the 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 record for, for most yards by receiver in Eagles history, um, 
they just they just threw in the towel. They said we don't even care about this game. The Cowboys left Dak in to get to break Tony Romo's record. They they were going all out the entire game. That's why the Eagles got smoked out. I, I'm tired of this narrative and it, this. Jalen Hurts has started to get overrated because people think he shouldered the offense. He didn't shoulder the offense. The Eagles have, if not a top three offensive line in the league, they're the best offensive line in football. The best. Is Jalen Hurts going to be able to run like that against if, if he had a bottom 20 line? No, he wouldn't have been able to. The reason why I thought the Eagles would be a playoff team this year is because they had a top 10 offensive line. They had a top 10 defensive line. Even though Darius Slay had a bad season last year, I didn't count him out. Everybody was writing off Darius Slay. I didn't count him out. They signed Anthony Harris, who was graded out as one of the best safeties in football. They also signed Steven Nelson. And after drafting Devontae Smith, they finally had a viable option at receiver to, to go to, at least in Dallas Goddard, is the top 10 tight end in football. Let's not act like the Eagles don't have talent. And on top of that, they faced a last place schedule in the NFC East, and they didn't beat many good teams this year. Like, what good team did they beat this year? They didn't beat any good teams. So all this talk about Jalen Hurts and stuff, come on, man. We got to ease down a little bit. Jalen Hurts had a fantastic year for his second year, but Jalen Hurts is a guy that you have to play a certain type of way. You have to have a an offense centered around the run and use him. To, to, to maximize his ability, and that's fine and all, but the Eagles have good running backs. Miles Sanders is a good running back. Kenneth Gainwell has been good. Jordan Howard has been good for them. They have guys at the running back position. They have depth at that position where they were able to really have a formidable rushing attack. You could actually say the same thing for the Patriots. Tell me a game that they beat someone good outside of Buffalo where Mac Jones Tennessee. only threw the ball three times. Tennessee. Tennessee was banged up at that point. They've been banged up all year. I agree, but you caught them at their most vulnerable point in the season. So that's what we're doing now? I'm just saying. I'm I'm being honest. Jalen Hurts is good, man. He's good, and he's progressing. I'm not not saying Jalen Hurts isn't good. And he could go from an average passer to a good passer. I'm I'm not saying Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts isn't good. He's, He's an okay quarterback. Where do you rank him currently? You think he's a top 15 quarterback? He had a top 15 season. No, he didn't. Year. He didn't have a top 15 mm. season. He's he right probably around 15. Would be, I was going to say, right he's a, I could not agree more. Do you I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Not this year. No. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even have a top 15 quarterback season. In my opinion, he didn't. But he's, they he, both played their roles really up. well, though. Like they, neither, te- neither of those quarterbacks are... You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't put Jalen Hurts on a team and, like, he upgrades the quarterback position so much that they go to the Super Bowl. I feel the same way about Jimmy G. Like, you don't put either of those teams, either of those quarterbacks, say, like, the Steelers, and now they're a Super Bowl contender. But in the right system, and if you have the right coaching staff and weapons around him, they could both succeed. And we saw they could both go to the playoffs and for Jimmy G, go to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So, it's as just long with as Jalen right Hurts, sure. with Jalen Hurts, you have to play a certain type of way. And I just don't you think do that. You do with Jimmy G, too. Okay, but it's a much more traditional it's a much more G. traditional and standard way. With Jalen Hurts, you oh. really have to make a lot of kinks to it's the offense. It's 2022. We're moving towards an RPO type NFL. Literally every team's moving that what, direction. What team? What, hold, 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 hold. Actually, this is an interesting this is an interesting point you made. What team that is moving in that direction of RPO heavy offense is actually a contender? Cardinals. 
And do you think they're do you San think Fran they're really contenders? San Fran's, San Fran's another one. San Fran's Dallas not an RPO one. reliant system. Like Dallas. maybe not RPO, but they use a ton of motion. Correct. They too, Correct. Use a ton well, of that's sweeps, well, motion. Passes, motion is offenses. motion is not the same as RPO though. No, I'm just saying in general, you're doing things to help the quarterback because they're not as dominant as the quarterbacks you're going to be playing. All the teams that are contenders right now are all drop back passing and you got a quarterback that can do it 40 plus times a game and they can be successful in that. All the top teams right now in football do that. When you have a limited quarterback like Jalen Hurts or even Jimmy Garoppolo, you're just not able to do that. And I think Jalen Hurts, because of the season, has gotten overrated because you know you coined the term baby Lamar and I've seen some numbers comparing those two and Jalen Hurts is the guy who's had the most recent success so now he's the one that we view and we we paint him in this light and part of the reason that is is because nobody wants to admit they were wrong about Nick Sirianni everybody still likes to act like Nick Sirianni is a bad coach and a bad play caller when this this is the difference between these two coaches Mike Zimmer got fired on Monday, Mike Zimmer didn't give a damn about Justin Jefferson breaking Randy Moss's record. He didn't care about it at all. That shows me you have no relationship with your players and you don't give a damn. Nick Sirianni left Devontae Smith in that game because he knew how much it meant to Devontae Smith. He left him He's in the there. Coach. And, that's, the and, and that's and and regardless, he, he didn't win the fans with his press conference, but all the players love what he stands for. And I think Jalen Hurts' season is more of a testament to Nick Sirianni changing up the offense and just being a, a, a brilliant young offensive mind. He was the one who designed the Colts' entire 2020 offense. When they had a bunch of success with Phillip Rivers, they won 10, 11 games, I believe, and they almost beat the Bills in the first round. Nick Sirianni designed the offense. Frank Wright called the plays. But Sirianni has been proven as an offensive guy. So all this credit going to Jalen Hurts, I just think it's a bit too much. But give me your prediction for the Eagles and Buccaneers game. Do you, are any of you guys calling an upset? I can't do it personally. Uh, Tom Brady is not the type of quarterback to lose to a team like the Eagles. The Eagles had a fantastic year. They definitely overachieved. That being said, Buccaneers are the Buccaneers. Ultimately, they have too much firepower. Even with all their injuries, the Bucs still shown they can still have success. I don't think that the Eagles offense is going to be enough to overcome the Buccaneers. Buccaneers rush defense has been relatively human these last couple weeks. I understand they're still the number one rush defense in the NFL, but over these last couple weeks, offenses have had, ha, have had success against them. But I don't, I think that is not going to to play too much into this game. I think the Eagles are going to have to throw the football in order to win this game because the Buccaneers are still a high-point offense. They're going to put points on the board. Buccaneers are probably going to come out this win uh, with this win relatively easy. Yeah, when we when this first came out on paper, I was like, oh, maybe the Eagles could give them a chance, right? They have a top rushing attack, a good defense. Maybe they could keep Brady off the field, but. Then when I went in and I was like, I was looking some stuff up. I was looking at the game. I was like, oh, I don't see a way the Eagles can win this game. And I'm a Jalen Hurts shooter. Drew, Drew mentioned it. I'm, you know, I was a big fan of Jalen Hurts last year and coming into this season. I remember telling Riv he's him earlier in the year and Riv wasn't having it. And I think, I think Riv has turned around. I think Riv is in on Jalen Hurts now. I think he mentioned that in our chat the other day. He has no so choice. He has no choice. Um, the Eagles top 10 defense in scoring. So like on paper, you're thinking they're a good defense, but they're really not that great situationally. 
they allowed the six most six most red zone touchdowns, while the Bucks, on the other hand, allowed the thirteenth fewest. They also allowed the ninth highest third down percentage, while the Bucks allowed they have the twelfth best third down defense. The Eagles have thirty one sacks, second worst in the league. The Bucks are top ten. So while the defense is good on paper, situationally, where you have to be great in the playoffs, great even better if you want to be great in the playoffs, you got to be damn near perfect against Tom Brady. The Eagles, that's not where they shine. Overall, they're okay. But when you get into these key situations like third down in the red zone, pressuring the quarterback, they don't play well. And if you want to beat Tom Brady, you got to be perfect doing that. When I went back, and it, it was a while ago, they played in week six. But the Bucks, I mean, it was 28 to 22. It looked like a close game, but it really wasn't that much of a close game. The Bucks and Brady, they just ate up the short passing game, which what has Brady's done for year after year. He completed 95% of his passes from zero to nine yards of line of scrimmage. So it was a bunch of underneath stuff. Antonio Brown had a great game. He's not, obviously not going to be part of this one, but he had 13 targets for 90 receptions, uh, 90 receiving yards and a touchdown. Shaq Barrett was phenomenal. Devin White was all over the field. I think he'll be a big part in containing Jalen Hurts in this RPO style of offense. And Hurts struggled against a really good defense. He didn't even have 100 yards until the fourth quarter. It was a weird game. Miles Sanders was by far their best option in the backfield, but they only gave him 11 touches, even though it was kind of a close game. So Miles Sanders has dealt with that issue year after year with different coaching staff. So I'm not really sure what to make of him. He seems like an explosive runner, but multiple coaches also don't seem comfortable enough to give him all of the workload. They brought in Jordan Howard. He's been really good. Kenneth Gainwell was a fifth or sixth round pick. He came in. He's played well in his limited touches. And the Bucs just did what they do. They the, um, the Eagles actually scored on their first possession of the game, but the Bucks went to the sideline, made adjustments. The Eagles went six straight drives of three and out, including one interception. And how the Bucks end the game, a 12-play drive that ended six minutes. That's what the Bucs are going to do in this game. They're going to be better situationally. They're the more talented team, better quarterback, better coaching staff. So I, I think the Bucs are going to win this game easily. Part of the reason why the Eagles had success this year is because Nick Sirianni learned very early on you could even debate that because i think it took him a while to really learn it he learned that jalen hurts can't drop back and pass consistently he learned that jalen hurts he can't go through reads consistently and he can't stay in the pocket consistently because there's too many times where there's no pressure in hurts face but he escapes the pocket immediately and that's something he has to work on it was that game where the Eagles went in, went all in on a run first approach. That game, you mentioned all the three and outs. That happened because Sirianni was calling pass plays on first, second, and third down. And occasionally a run play for Jalen Hurts. Miles Sanders, I think as a whole, the, the running backs, they got fewer than five carries in that first half. And I think that that's me being generous. I think it was like three or less. And part of the reason is that you look at the Bucs and they're such a dominant run defense that you don't even want to challenge them in that area. The Cowboys did the same thing in week one, and then the Eagles did the same thing when they played them. But that last drive, the last scoring drive the Eagles had, Mayo Sanders got a bunch of touches, and that's how they were able to get momentum against the Bucs. The final score was 28-22, to but there was a point in time where the score was 28 to seven it wasn't a close game at all the Bucks controlled the entire game and I think the keys for the Bucks this game is just to stop the run so Jalen Hurts can pass the ball because they are the Eagles are a completely different team where when he has to make progressions and he has to stay in the pocket and make the right read they're just not the same team for the Eagles it's the opposite they have to run the ball and 
take the ball out of Brady's hands for as long as they can to maximize their offense and to hopefully have a chance to win this game. The Bucks defense looked vulnerable late in that game against the run versus the Eagles, but I think it was because at that point they just didn't care too much about that possession. I could be wrong, but that game, Lane Johnson didn't play for the Eagles. With Lane Johnson playing, who is a top tackle in the NFL, and the talent they already have on their team on that offensive line, this could be a closer matchup than what I'm expecting. And I, I'm I'm not ruling out the Eagles completely. Because even though I think the Bucs are by far the better team, I just think matchup-wise, it, it they can they can kind of force the Bucks' hand a little bit. Uh, and the Bucs don't have A.B., who was really the best player on the field on offense for the Bucs that game. Leonard Fournette is back, so that's a good sign. Chris Godwin also is not playing. And although I do think Mike Evans is still a number one wide receiver, he is declining, and I think Darius Slay can do a really good job on him. So, guys got to step up for the Bucs. So, for the Eagles, I think it's control the clock, run the ball, and for the Bucs, it's to stop the run and make Hurts throw within the pocket. I do think the Bucs beat the Eagles 24-13. to That's my score prediction, and I think they're going to contain the run early, which is going to force Hurts to pass the ball and the Eagles to try to play from behind in that way. And I just don't think they have the playmakers to consistently win on the outside. Devontae Smith had a good rookie season, but I don't know if I'd, I'd call him a, a tier one wide receiver just yet. He has to have a season where he's really outmatching corners. And, and to this point, he, there, are, there are games, there are weeks where he's getting outmatched and the physicality is too much for him. So I don't think he's quite ready for that. And that's why I have the Bucs win in this game. You think Mike Evans has declined or do you think it's more so due to the fact that he has actual weapons next to him that he's not necessarily being force fed? Because even still, he had over a thousand yards this year. He, he had over 70 receptions this season. He had an average depth target of 14 yards, which was 0.4 less than last year. I wouldn't say regress is the word. I feel like the word I would use is or the, the words I would use are. There's this is a high point offense. You mentioned Godwin's not on this team anymore, but he he took away some yardage from him. AB's not on this team anymore, but he took some yardage away from him. Gronkowski has been very effective for Tampa Bay when he's played this season. Leonard Fournette led the league in, in receptions for for the running back position. There are weapons on this team. To say Mike Evans regressed a little strong for me. I think that Darius Slade definitely poses a threat to Mike Evans. But nevertheless, if Brady needs to go to Mike Evans in order to win this game, I have no doubts in my mind that Mike Evans is going to be able to win that battle versus Slay. I think he has declined. Uh, even though you you mentioned all the weapons he has, I think you you can you can make an argument for how that hurts his stats, but I think that helps him. It gives him the ability to go up against one corner all the time. You know, now that now the Eagles can. They can put more guys on them. They can maybe play a cover two shell and they can have a safety watching over the top and ready to make a play on that. So I think it's a bit of both. His stats aren't going to be there. But, you know, when you talk about number one wide receivers in the NFL and teams that have them, where does Mike Evans rank amongst those guys? He's probably still a top 15 receiver in the league. He's probably still a top fifteen. I would, towards, and but like more towards fifteen than five. Yeah, and I think no, they're, definitely. And I think they're, you know, when when we talk about the thirty-two teams in the NFL, not all thirty-two teams have a number one receiver. There's, I think, there's about like twenty teams that have it. So if Evans is closer to fifteenth than he is five, 
he's one of the worst number one options at receiver in the NFL. Uh, I agree. Yeah, he's one of the worst, worst or wide receiver one options, but he's still a damn good receiver. And I don't know if you mentioned Joel, no, but yeah, he's good. We also have Lenny Fournette, Gio Bernard, Levante David all return to practice today. So that's going to be huge for the Bucks, not only for this week, but going forward because they had Le'Veon Bell and Keyshawn Mon out there the last couple of weeks. And that's not ideal for the, the running back situation. Le'Veon Bell is a legend, though. A Steeler legend. Levant, Levante <laughs> David, I I saw he practiced, but I wasn't from the reports that had come out. It said that he might miss the first week of the playoffs. He's if a he game plays, time decision. If he plays, this is a huge, huge boost for the Buccaneers. He is their best defensive option, regardless. He's the leader. He is what makes the Buccaneers defense go. You need Levante David for this playoff run if the Buccaneers want a chance to to win to repeat for the Super Bowl. So that's huge. Yeah, I really don't. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a closer game. I mean, last year, Washington gave the Bucks a close game. So you never know. But I think the Bucks win this pretty easily. Now, this next game, I think, is a toss up. That's the Agreed. 49ers versus the Cowboys. Now, the Cowboys are 12 and 5. The 49ers are 10 and 7. But I think this is like the Raiders and Bengals. It's hard to pick a winner. This is such a toss up game. Who do you have winning? Are both of you guys going with the Cowboys or one of each? What is it? This, you guys mentioned that you thought that the Raiders and the Bengals was the biggest toss-up this weekend. For me personally, this one is by far the hardest one that I had to to to, to plan for. I, I look at both teams. Both teams are playing very solid football. 49ers have secretly been one of the better teams in the NFL. Seventh in total yards. And they've given up the 10th fewest yards per game. You look at Dallas, they have the number one offense in total yards and have one of the one of the better defenses when it comes to turning the ball over, but they give up a decent amount of yards. Trayvon Diggs has had an all-time great season for a corner, having 11 total interceptions this year. That being said, he gave up over a thousand yards to opposing wide receivers. So this game is tough for me given the fact that. The Niners do have a genuine chance to to play spoilers for every single team that they play. For me, if Dallas wins this game, they could go to the Super Bowl. This is going to be their their biggest test because the Niners are playing such good football. I say biggest test, and, and I know that's going to, to be, like, whoa, what are you talking about? Packers still around, Rams still around, Buccaneers are still around. But the Niners are a sleeper team to go to the Super Bowl. One of the best coach teams in the league. Defense has been one of the better underrated defenses this season, given the fact that their secondary is not the best. You still have guys like Nick Bosa holding it down for them. Fred Warner still one of the best middle linebackers in the league. You can't count out San Fran, given their dynamic on offense. Jimmy G has been more than serviceable for the Niners since coming back. You have Elijah Mitchell has had a great rookie season. You could argue that he's been top, top three surprises this year. You had Raheem Mostert coming into this year, who was supposed to be the guy. You can never truly rely on Raheem Mostert, unfortunately, as much as I do love his game. Elijah Mitchell came in and, and it was as if nothing had changed. Every time he misses a game, they feel it. They feel that impact when he's not on the field. It seems as if any guy that they plug into that, to that backfield, they seem to have success, but, Trey Sermon stepped in and he just was not that dude. Elijah Mitchell came in and just gave him a spark. Then you have Debo Samuel who just broke the record for more most rushing touchdowns. 
by a wide receiver. And you can't take away from the fact that he is still one of the best wide receiver options in the NFL, having over a thousand yards. And then you can't overlook the fact that George Kittle has returned, excuse me, has returned to George Kittle esque, uh, to George Kittle status. He is the guy that he has been his entire career kind of fell off last season and the year before that with injuries, but he's healthy. He's showing that he is still here and a force to be reckoned with. And this offense scares me in terms of playing against Dallas. Dallas's offense gives up yards and San Fran can move the ball with the best of them. This is going to be a shootout as good as both defense have been in terms of stopping one another for, for San Fran's case, but then turning the ball over for Dallas's case. Jimmy G is more prone to turning the ball over, which is why I lean Dallas. I think that Dallas's ability to to force turnovers is going to be the reason why Dallas is able to put up more points and ultimately come away with this W. So I think if I had to say final answer, Dallas does win this game, but it's going to be a fantastic game and one of the better ones this weekend. This is my upset of the week. I think the 49ers are playing fantastic football. I've been high on them the last few weeks, and I feel like I've kind of been right in terms of like when they're going to win, when they're going to lose. And I think this is a game that they could go into Dallas and win. The Niners are just getting hot at the right time. They've won four of their last five, including two very impressive wins against the Bengals and the Rams, both playoff teams. Um, they have 100 or more rushing yards in four or five of those games, including multiple games of 160-plus. Drew mentioned it. Elijah Mitchell has been spectacular, but really – any running back who's going to be in that Shanahan system is going to, is going to play well. Um, it's a shame that Raheem Mostert went down so early in the, in the season because when he is healthy, he is a really good running back. Trey Sermon, like Drew mentioned as well, just is looking like a bust. I mean, you know, it's it's early, but if you're a third-round pick, you don't produce your first year at all, it is hard to come back from that. And that's not taking anything away from Jimmy G. He's having one of his best seasons of his career compared to 2019 especially. He just has two, uh, 200 less yards but he has a higher yards per attempt, career-high yards per completion, quarterback rating of 99, which is the second highest of his career. And don't get me wrong, the weapons are phenomenal. I mean, Drew mentioned them. Debo Samuel has been arguably a top-five receiver this year. Ayuk has also fit into the wide receiver two position beautifully. He did that a lot. He did a, He played really well at the end of last year, was in the doghouse earlier this season, but has really come on these last few weeks and has shown that he could be you know, a top 20, top 25 receiver, someone who could definitely be a wide receiver too in this league at the minimum. And George Kittle, when he's healthy, if you give him the targets, he could be already be the best tight end in the league. We know how great he is as a blocker. So I see the the 49ers trending up in the right direction. They're able to move the ball right in the game or pass. And they came back from 17 points down against arguably the best second half team in football last week. And, you know, a big part of why I was a little hesitant on the Niners is, I don't know how much I trust Jimmy G coming back from a large deficit when he can't just rely on running the ball. And he showed me up. He came, had a really good game last week, won in overtime, a must-win game to get into the playoffs. And on the other hand, the Cowboys just haven't been that great now. They have won five of their last six. But of those five wins, four of them came against the NFC East, including Week 18, where Jalen Hurts and a few other starters sat. Um, The one loss that really sticks out to me, though, for the Cowboys is the Week 17 game against the Cardinals. The Cowboys were home. They have their opportunity to really show the NFL and prove to themselves we can be another top contender in this league. And they really weren't able to do it. They struggled pushing the ball down the field. Dak just averaged six yards per attempt, and he got the ball out quick. His average time to throw was 2.1 seconds, one of the, the quickest of his season. So, And I don't really understand it because he didn't get sacked at all. He only had four pressures. So I'm not exactly sure what the game plan was going in. 
it seemed like they thought they could attack the short, you know, the short area of the field with CD Lamb and Amari Cooper, two really good route runners, and Dalton Schultz as well. So had a good season. Um, and, and the run game too. I mean, Zeke Pollard, neither of them were able to get anything going. Kyler, on the other hand, played really well, especially moving the ball down the field. And I think Jimmy Cheese can be able to exploit that as well a little bit. So I just think the 49ers, they're going to win in the trenches, control the game. I think it's going to be close. It's going to come down to the fourth quarter, but I think the Niners are going to win this game 23 to 20. This is one of those games that is probably going to come down to who has the ball last. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know why there's so much dismay for him. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. Is he elite? Is he a franchise one? He's not. But he's a good quarterback. And you mentioned the 2019 numbers. Before coming into the season, I said Jimmy G is going to shut a lot of y'all up because we're out here thinking Jimmy G's a journeyman. He's not. He's a starter. And he's clutch. He has a clutch gene in him. He just gets it done. And you saw it versus the Rams. I'm glad they came back because nobody wanted to see the Saints in the playoffs, they just—they're just not a playoff team. The Cowboys have a top ten defense in terms of points allowed, but they are very reliant on turnovers, kind of like how Miami was last season. They're twentieth against the pass in terms of yards, and sixteenth against the run in terms of yards. So they're a middle of the pack defense. They allow a lot of yardage, and the 49ers defense—they're six against the pass. And I know that you look at their cornerback group; it's not the most talented. Jimmy Ward is, is really good. Uh, he's a really good safety. Um, Josh Norman has really stepped up as well. Akello Witherspoon has really, he's been okay. He's done his job. Emmanuel Mosley. Like, these guys aren't horrible is what I'm trying to say. They're, I agree with that. They're a solid unit, but it's relying on the pass rush. Nick Bosa is having a defensive player of the year type of season, even though he won't win it. Eric Armstead, we all know he's one of the better defensive linemen, edge rushers in the NFL as well. So they still get after the quarterback plenty, and that's what allows their secondary to be a little bit more aggressive than they, they usually can be because those guys up front just get after the quarterback. But the, the Dallas Cowboys have a great offensive line, and because of that, Dak Prescott might be able to pick apart the 49ers all day long. The key for the 49ers, in my opinion, is they just have to limit turnovers. Jimmy Garoppolo can't be careless with the football, and they have to chew clock by establishing the run. I don't think Dallas can stop the run at all, and I think the 49ers are going to gash them in that area. And Debo and Kittle just offer mismatches for the Cowboys. Who's guarding Kittle? It's either going to be Leighton Van Der Esch, Keanu Neal, or Micah Parsons. I don't trust any of those guys to guard Kittle. Who's guarding Debo? You'll say Trayvon Diggs, but Trayvon Diggs allowed 1,000 yards this season. So Debo's going to have his way with Trayvon Diggs. And you mentioned Brandon Ayuk. I think the true X factor on this team is Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings, he's, like been, he's been slowly, but he's been really coming along these past couple of weeks and getting more targets, and he's been making the most out of them. He was a guy who... Out of Tennessee, he had a lot of talent, but he slipped into the later rounds because he had some character issues. But the guy is talented, and he can really play, and he's the 49ers' X factor at receiver. For the Cowboys, it's they have to stop the run, and the offense has to have explosive plays. The Cowboys aren't a very explosive offense. They have the weapons to be explosive, but 
when you look at yards per attempt and you look at the, the, the plays that Kellen Moore calls, he doesn't call aggressive plays very often. He's a very cautious offensive play caller, brilliant one at that, but he's a very cautious one, and that's more so because that's Dax Prescott's play style. And they have to capitalize on their possessions. If the defense does force a turnover, they have to capitalize on those possessions. And also, if you're the Cowboys, you don't know how often you're going to get the ball because the 49ers love to have the ball for so long because they could run it. They can they can milk the clock for eight minutes if they really wanted to. That's how dominant their run game is. So the Cowboys have to capitalize on their possessions. The Cowboys last month faced the Eagles, Cardinals, Washington, Giants, and Saints. I am a bit worried that the Cowboys haven't faced any real good team outside of the Cardinals. This past month, it's been a really easy cupcake schedule for them, and I don't know how much that prepares them to face a team like the 49ers. The 49ers this past month, they've faced the Rams, the Bengals. I mean, they've really had to beat good teams. The Vikings, like, they've beaten good teams. The Cowboys haven't beaten good teams this past month, and they're there, and they lost to the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Bucks, and Cardinals. So even versus playoff teams, they haven't been very good. The 49ers are four and four against playoff teams. They've been good against that type of competition. And the Cowboys at home, they're worse at home than they are on the road. They're five and three at home. So because of that, I'm picking an upset here too. I think it's going to be a very close but high scoring game. My prediction is 27-24 49ers, and it's a very close game. It can go either way, but I don't trust Dallas's defense. They are too turnover-reliant, and Shanahan is very familiar with Dan Quinn's scheme. I mean, he coached under him in Atlanta when they made a Super Bowl run, and because of that, I think that Kyle Shanahan is going to pick apart his defense. I think Debo and Kittle offer huge mismatch problems for them, and on top of that, I just don't believe the Cowboys will be able to stop the run but I can see the game coming down to who has the ball last. And if either team has the ball last, I'm going to pick that team to win. But I think the 49ers will come out on top. So this is the first time we actually differ on a selection. So let's go have a little bit of back and forth. You say stop the run. Dallas is middle of the pack. If anything, I fear more that they're going to pick them apart over the top. Debo Samuel, we've spoken about it plethora of times throughout this year. He can do anything. He's a Swiss Army knife at the wide receiver position. My worry is that George Kittle has a strong impact on this game. Debo Samuel has a strong impact on this game on the outside. I think that that would be my my biggest concern as a Dallas fan. But ultimately, you said it for me. I, I really don't have to say anything else. This secondary does not have the personnel, in my opinion, to stop Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Dolan Schultz. And we can't leave out Cedric Wilson, who you love and you want him to be a Jet one day, and rightfully so. Cedric has shown great strides and had a very solid game last week against the Eagles. But again, that's just a, a garbage time game. Eagles really didn't didn't give too much effort in that sense. However, Dallas has a plethora of options to go to. I would like them to, to be a little bit more aggressive, letting the ball loose. You don't have guys like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, and you play it close to the cuff being extra cautious in your game plan. I think that if you want to win this game and show the rest of the league that you are here to make noise, you come out like you did against Washington and throw the ball and, and show teams you can beat them however which, which way you want it. Ezekiel Elliott over a 1,000 yards this season. He's going to leave his impact on this game, but I I look more so to for, to for Dallas to lean on Dak in order for them to win this game. 
Jimmy Garoppolo has been solid, 100%. Credit, kudos to him. However, when it comes to turning the ball over, Garoppolo has not been one of those guys to be very controlling of the ball. He has moments where he, he I, I don't want to say chokes, but doesn't doesn't step up to the plate more often than not. He stepped up to the plate last weekend for sure against the Rams. And, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo, like I said already, I got to give him his props for what he's done this season. I just have my my worries that come playoff time, Dallas will be able to turn the ball over. And that has been the storybook for Dallas's defense, forcing turnovers that give the, the offense better field position and Dallas's offense more often than not converts. You think it's more likely Kittle has over 100 yards and not Mitchell? It, 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 it definitely worries me more about Kittle against this secondary than Elijah Mitchell. Even though Elijah Mitchell is a solid ball player, like I already mentioned, he has been fantastic. However, this Dallas secondary is not as great as the numbers might say in terms of turning the ball over. They give up yards. Trayvon Diggs has had an excellent season when you just look at the INTs. However, you go and you look at yardage allowed, that's that's where he, he really struggles. He gives up the big play because he gambles so much. I think Micah Parsons might have to take that task of, of dropping into coverage against George Kittle. And I feel like you're just asking a lot of, of Micah Parsons. I don't think that it's impossible that Micah Parsons can, to a degree, hold Kittle. However, it's it's going to be really hard to completely take him out of this game. And then you just have Debo on the outside going against Trayvon. Those are my biggest fears. But ultimately, I do think that they do have those big-time plays in them defensively to impact this game in order for them to win. Oddly enough, I trust Jimmy Garoppolo in a game like this, more so than I trust a guy like Matthew Stafford in a game like this. I trust talk about Dak Prescott. No, we, we, we you know, <laughs> I, I, tr- I, tr- bring up Stafford. I trust Dak too. I, I trust Jimmy Garoppolo in a game like this. And I, I can see it going t- one of two ways. I can see the, the, the 49ers coming out and dominating like how they did versus the Rams on Monday night football. Or I can see a game like Thursday Night Football where the Titans just dominated the game versus them. And Jimmy Garoppolo had two interceptions, and he just really put them in a hole. So I I can see either outcome, but I would much rather— I I would predict it would be much more in the middle. I think it's a much more evened-out game. And I don't know. I I trust Jimmy G. I I don't think he's going to commit many turnovers. Maybe he'll get one. Like, you know, he'll throw one boneheaded interception, but— I don't think he'll cost the 49ers a game. Yeah, I think Jimmy G is going to, you know, play within the scheme. Shanahan's going to have a great defense. You made it, you put up a, a good point how, you know, Shanahan and Quinn, they both coach together. And in today's NFL, that's why I'm kind of okay with Trayvon Diggs giving up so many yards. Cause unless your name, unless you're a top five corner, you're a Jalen Ramsey, a, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, Jair, like you're going to give up yards in today's NFL. So if you could give up yards, but give me 11 interceptions. I'm more than okay with that. Yeah. But, but it gets to, it gets to a point where a thousand is ridiculous, but I understand you have the ability to make the game changing type play. That being said, the fact that he, he takes as many risks as he does, maybe he changes it up for, for the playoff time. But however, in, in my opinion, I would rather you stick to what this point and continue to to take as many risks as he has this year, given the fact that 
it leads to Dallas getting the football. And when Dallas has the football, more often than not, it produces solid results. Number one in yards, number one in points. I don't have a worry of Dallas scoring. My worry is Dallas stopping the Niners offense. And before we move on to our next topic, a quick word from our sponsor, DraftKings. The NFL playoffs are here in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wild card game to win their game. On any wild card team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wild card weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team win wins. That's promo code TBPN this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Now on to this next game. It might be probably a clean sleep sweep of who we're going to pick. It's the Steelers versus the Chiefs. I don't know if you guys heard Big Ben's comments, but he basically said, we don't have a chance, so let's just go have fun out there. What, what For one... You said that? Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what do you think comments like that does to a team? Do you think the Steelers have any chance? When these teams met, Terrible. the Chiefs beat them 36-10, to 10 and Travis Kelsey did not play. So do you think the same outcome is going to happen? Are the Chiefs going to dominate this game? Did, where do you say that press conference? Like where I didn't, I didn't see that. It was probably the press conference. It was all over Twitter, bro. That's I, crazy. I don't like the comments by any means, not by any means. You should never be the quarterback. Especially of the, the team quarter, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're yeah. the leader of that team, bro. However, maybe the chiefs don't go into that game as hungry, as aggressive, given the fact that you have the guy on the raw, on the, the Steelers saying that they're already out of this game Maybe a little bit of reverse psychology. You catch the Chiefs with their pants down. However, it would be a miracle at this point. The Chiefs have to be the favorites in this game. I, I, I think Joel's 100% right when he says that we're probably going to all have the Chiefs win in this game. I, I can't I can't see a, a, a world where the Chiefs lose this game. The only thing that the Steelers have going for them is that this is Big Ben's last ride. We've seen some magical runs in the past where – you had Ray Lewis come out and say this is his final year. The Ravens definitely were not favorites by any means to go to the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl. You had Peyton Manning that year. You had Tom Brady, whose teams were just better than them. But something with that energy of doing it for that franchise guy just changes a team. I, I don't think that the Broncos saw Peyton Manning in that moment and say, you know what, this is his last one. We got to go all out for him. It just so happened to that Peyton just wanted to walk away on top. And, and credit to that. That being said, Michael Strahan, another one that you just had one of those magical runs where a team just gets behind its franchise guys, gives 100%, 110% effort to, to this playoff run, and, and magical things happen. Unfortunately, I don't see it happening here. I really do want to see Pittsburgh put up a game here. I, I have been a, a huge supporter of the Steelers and their run this season. I, they've, they've been one of my few 
spots where I've been correct over these last man of weeks. So I'm happy to see them make the playoffs, even though I would have preferred the Chargers to make it. I think it, the Chargers would have made the playoffs a little bit more interesting, made this game a little bit more interesting. Would the Raiders have been the seventh seed if the Chargers and, and Raiders had tied? Yep. The Raiders would have been the seventh seed, correct? They would have, they would have, played, played, they the would have played Kansas City. That's why I don't know if they wanted to tie. That's yeah. why I think they should have gone for the win. I'd rather play the Bengals than the Chiefs, that's for sure. No, I, I'm definitely with you. However, I think that this is where Big Ben's ride comes to an end. As much as I do want to see him beat the Chiefs, everyone knows it. I will root against the Chiefs, against any team. It does not matter. However, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, um, don't get me wrong. For all of these other games, I looked up stats, research, looked at other games. I, I didn't have too much here. Wait, I mean, Joe, I don't if, think... if I remember um, in the group chat earlier, Joe actually sent us a message and told us he thinks Steelers are upsetting the Chiefs. Is that why you don't, is that why you don't have notes? <laughs> so Someone must have <laughs> sold my phone then, bro, <laughs> and deleted the message. Asked. I didn't see it. Yeah, now nah, this is going to be tough, man. Um, I don't see a world where the, the Steelers are able to pull this off. I wish we were talking um, on Twitter after one of the one of the listeners came came at my neck a little bit because last week I said the Steelers weren't going to win. They weren't going to make the playoffs. And then he added me like, oh, what happened? Um, you know, because I was talking, I was slandering Ben a little bit, saying how he limited the team this year. And a little bit. I want to say a little they're, bit they're in the playoffs. So good for them. I wish I said, I replied to him. I was like, listen, bro, I wish you guys lost because, or at least I wish you guys didn't get in because I wish Ben could have gone out with a W against the rival Ravens, who he's the biggest rival in the Steelers over the last 20 years that Ben's been there. So I wish that was the way Ben went out. But this game, I mean, to say those comments, we don't have a chance. I guess if you want to, you know, make sure there's no pressure on you guys, because that's the one thing the Steelers have going for them. There's absolutely no pressure on them. No one in the world expects them to win this game. They're almost two touchdown underdogs. So if you want to kind of play that, you know, mindset of it, okay. I still don't love coming out to the press com in the press conference to reporters and the whole world. No, we don't have a chance. It's football. Anything could happen. We saw the undefeated Patriots lose to a Giants team that nobody thought could win either. So while I'm saying that the Steelers have no chance, I'm allowed to say it because we have a podcast. I don't want my quarterback saying it because – I'd feel like shit if I'm a Steelers fan. Like, what do you mean we don't have a chance, bro? Like, we're still playing this game. We got to go in. They got to beat us. They put their pants on the same way we put our pants on. Why can't we beat them? But you oh, look at this team, the Chiefs, they're better everywhere. I don't – other than, I guess, pass rusher T.J. Watts having well, you know, one of the best uh, defensive seasons of all time, let alone just in Steelers history. So they have that going for them. But other than that, you know, the Steelers have a, a bright future. They got some pieces on offense. Love Deontay. Chase Claypool's a nice piece. Najee's played really well. Um, so overall, the future is still bright for Pittsburgh, a, a world-class organization, a great head coach. But unfortunately, this matchup couldn't get worse. It wouldn't surprise me if the Steelers lost by like three touchdowns. Joel, real, real quick, though, I, I, this has nothing to do with Steelers and Chiefs because maybe we'll excite this up a little bit. I must say your background right now is absolutely spot on beautiful. You have like so it, much going. You have so much going on, man. It's know, just bro. really it's really pleasing to the eye. You mean the all-white background? Yeah, bro. Yeah, what do you mean by that, bro? What do you I mean by that? Oh, here we go. <laughs> that being said, come on now. Can we get a little bit of excitement going on bro, here? Bro, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for these Zoom meetings. I thought we were going to be in person, so I wasn't ready. Listen, I yeah, gave you Drew. The pass. 
I gave him the pass last week because, you know, that definitely was last minute. This time, come on, you could have had some kind of idea that we're going to get. Give me something. Put a nail in the wall, hang a jersey, give me some kind of memorabilia. You got nothing going on. It's playing Jane over there. The only exciting thing is I'm telling the people I agree with them. I want to be in person too. So I don't want to give them anything to look forward to. Like I want to be in person with y'all. You know, bro, I can't have this swagged out room like you do, bro. You know, I appreciate that. I, I yeah, definitely we're not put a lot fortunate, of hard work. Okay, God you know forbid. Listen, I'm not saying for you to put the Mona Lisa in your room. I'm just saying to put a little bit of something. Is that too much to ask? I, you, I'm a man of the people, bro. The people want us together. That's all I'm gonna say. Unbelievable. All right, go ahead, y'all. I don't think Big Ben's comments really helps the case that the Steelers are gonna win this game. I think they're gonna lose uh, like the same way they lost the first time. Travis Kelsey didn't, didn't play. He's playing this game. Najee Harris has an elbow injury, and he's really their only bright star if they can even gain any traction on offense. Whoa. Deontay Johnson? Well, only some, some, star. Well, well, somebody has to throw the ball to Deontay Johnson. I don't trust Big Ben throwing the ball to him. At he's a done high, more at, than fine job this season of doing it. All right, it. well, Najee Harris is the reason why they're in the playoffs in the first place because he backpacked them. Oh my, no, he did not. Uh, backpack against, is, against the Browns, did he not backpack? Yeah. Week 17, he did. But other than that, going into week 17, they were the last ranked rushing offense. So, bro, like Najee has not been spectacular. He still and finished with a thousand yards. Fault, yeah. He's still, I'm not uh, saying it's his fault. He still I'm finished just with a thousand yards. Time. And credit and to him has the because most of the opportunity. The Correct. Well, he, he, he has to. He has to. But I'm saying Najee Harris has an elbow injury. He's. I think he's probably going to play, but even then, RS touch is going to be limited. Uh, limited. The Chiefs are going into these playoffs winning the last nine of their 10 games. I mean, the Chiefs are on a roll. They have the eighth best defense currently right now. The only way the Steelers can even be close in this game or win it is if TJ Watt just has the game of a century. I mean, like, he completely dominates and takes over. There's nothing the Chiefs can do, and he's just a man amongst boys out there. That's the only reason. That's the only way I can see this game even being remotely close but i think the chiefs win 31 of 31 to 14 i'll give the steelers 14 points and the chiefs are just better in every single aspect every single skill position they're better in outside of maybe like one or two and the steelers just don't have a superstar quarterback to make up for the deficiencies they have on the team anymore big ben just isn't that guy anymore and because he's more of a liability than he is a an asset and because of that I don't think this is going to be a close game at all. I have the Chiefs winning pretty handily. Yeah. Yeah, now, sure. this oh, is... Help me out. Help me out. I'm sorry, guys. What was the stat of Big Ben and his comeback victories this season? Was it that he had... I'm blanking off the top of my head, and I apologize. Maybe Looking I should like look. game-winning drives or something? Yes. Hasn't he... In, in I want to say it was six or seven of the, the Steelers' wins this year. It has been from Big Ben leading a fourth quarter comeback victory. He has he has six fourth quarter comebacks and seven game winning drives this year. There we go. That's what. So but you have to be close to do that, and I don't think it's going to be close. You know, what? and that's that's very fair. I'm trying to find something for Steeler Nation right now. I'm really I'm really trying. You don't have. To. I give them their flowers. They have a bright future. They got some really. No, you good don't. Great you do not. Coach. Get it out of here. Bro, yes, I, you know how I love Deontay. I think Najee's mad good. TJ Watt, one of the best receiver, one of the best uh, passers in the NFL. Mike Tomlin's phenomenal. A great organization with rich history. They got a bright future. They just need a, they need a quarterback. 
Yeah, you need to suck up to Steeler Nation because they're on your ass. However, <laughs> Big Ben, it's unfortunate that it's going to end this way. You know what, yeah. Drew? Leave your energy for this segment because... All right, here we go. Here the we last go. game of up. Wild Card Weekend is on Monday night, and I didn't know that. And I, I bought tickets to L.A. My flight was Friday, and I come back Monday. Then I realized the game was Monday, and I had to change my flight. <laughs> So I changed my flight. I'm going to be attending that game. So I'm going to be in L.A. That's for tough. the Rams and Cardinals game. I, I, I'm I going to buy an Aaron Donald jersey. I'm going to buy a Rams jersey. It's going to be Donald most likely. I can't be seen with the Stafford one, especially if he throws an interception to cost the Rams a game, which might actually happen because that's Uh-oh. the type of quarterback Stafford is. But He's only thrown gosh. one in, in the fourth quarter or overtime this year. So, But in prime, in, in prime time, in prime, this game is a prime time game. It's a division matchup. They split 1-1 this season. The Cardinals beat the Rams 37-20 in the first matchup. In the second one, they lost 23-30. Now, Drew, you've picked the Rams to make it all the way to the Super Bowl this year. Do you think there's any chance the Cardinals stop that? And how are you feeling about this game? Because if I'm a Rams fan, I feel uneasy about this one. Understandably to feel uneasy. It's a division game, and the Cardinals aren't slouches. I believe J.J. Watt is supposed to make his return this week also, correct? Yep. So that's definitely an added bonus for the Cardinals. You bring in a a great run stopper in J.J. Watt. They kind of lost that run stop presence once J.J. Watt had gone down. I wouldn't say lost, but definitely hindered their run defense this season. Now you have him him back in. And we saw last week, Sonny Michelle had an abysmal week. He, at one point, he had 14 uh, attempts for 15 yards. And had Sony, Sony had been on a tear. So that speaks to what San Fran's doing over there. However, I, I think the Rams do come out with this one. The reason to be weary is that this is a vision game. And we had seen already once that the Cardinals can beat the Rams. However, we saw one of Matthew Stafford's, if not his best performance this season against the Cardinals this year in primetime where my friend Joel believes that he cannot perform. However, you know what? I, I can't be oblivious. This season, Matthew Stafford, that is the one primetime game that you look at, and he played well against against the 49ers, against Tennessee. He didn't play his best football by any means. However, you look at it this year, in the fourth quarter, 12 touchdowns, zero INTs. The first time he goes into overtime, he throws an interception. That's unfortunate. That's his only turnover in the fourth quarter or overtime this year. In the clutch, Matthew Stafford is going to be ready, and he's going to play his best football. In terms of the first half, this is where Matthew Stafford makes his mistakes. This year, in the first half, he has 12 total interceptions. In the second half, he only has four. So I, I we have seen Matthew Stafford struggle, but we've seen him overcome it like games against the Cardinals, like games against the Ravens, where the Ravens definitely should not have been in that game. Matthew Stafford knew that, came in halftime, was smoking hot, was the main reason why they were able to win this game, win that game, excuse me. And I'm feeling pretty similar here. Now it's a home game where the Cardinals did actually beat the Rams. Different thing, uh, different around this time is now they have Odell Beckham Jr. And Odell Beckham Jr. gives them a safety net in terms of red zone threat, in terms of not having Cooper Cup absolutely mugged or completely taken out of this game because you have to only worry about him. Not saying that Robert Woods is a slouch, but you don't have, you don't have to worry about these two guys being double covered or triple covered, given the fact that Cooper cup just won the triple crown. Shout out to you, Cooper. You did an excellent job this year. I think Odell Beckham has a great game this, this, uh, this Monday or this upcoming Monday. 
I think that the secondary for the Cardinals is not going to be enough to stop Matthew Stafford. It is going to be heavily based on whether the Cardinals can get to the quarterback. Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden, J.J. Watt, one of the best D-lines in the league. I just believe personally that the secondary is not going to be able to hold up and Matthew Stafford is going to have his way. But it comes down to how Kyler Murray is going to play. Now, Kyler Murray is one of my favorite quarterbacks in this league. I said it earlier this year, he's going to stamp himself as a top five quarterback. And if he's not top five, he's at the minimum six. Kyler Murray is just one of the most exciting players in the NFL. He is like that. He is him, as Joel would say. I personally think that Kyler Murray will have a good game, but ultimately Stafford will be Stafford and the Rams offense will just be too much for the Cardinals. So I think I understand that stat correctly. Because when Stafford, when he's in a primetime game, he throws his interceptions early to the point that the Rams are getting blown out. So then in the fourth quarter, he makes up for all that. And that's why it looks like he's this clutch quarterback. But we all know the truth if you really watch the games. He doesn't You're perform right. in primetime. Third, third amongst active quarterbacks in comeback victories. But no big deal. Uh, that's good for him. That's good for him. He had a comeback every single week in Detroit. It's not that impressive. <laughs> Imagine carrying the worst franchise in NFL history. That, credit to you, Matty. All right. All right. Well, you, you don't give Matt Ryan any credit for doing that in Atlanta. Whoa, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> Anytime we talk about 2017, Matthew Stafford, you have to mention him as one of the best QBs in the league. I'm sorry that in 2022, I don't look at Matthew Stafford as the Matt top Ryan. five quarterback that Matt he once Excuse me. Matt Ryan. Absolutely. I apologize. Like, put me in jail. I'm sorry. Matt Ryan is still a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. Are you taking Jimmy Garoppolo this year or Matthew, Matt, Matt Ryan? Are you asking me that question seriously? This year, who are you taking, Jimmy Garoppolo or Matt Ryan? If I'm Kyle Shanahan and you tell me I can have Matt Ryan or Jimmy G, who, what do you think I'm doing? All right, I'm obviously taking Matt Ryan, but based off this season, Garoppolo did more than what anyone was expecting this year. Well, well why? Because he has the weapons in the offensive mind to do it. You, but don't, again, you it, don't think it if Matt Ryan had until- that? It took Debo up until this point to be Debo Samuel. It's his third season in the NFL. I give it it a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan for being able to identify that Debo has this skill set available to the team. He's always always had that, though. But not to this point, not to this level. It's because his – well, for one, his rookie year, he was almost – he was shy of 1,000 yards. His second year, he was injured the entire year. He wasn't able to play. but that's exactly my point. We hadn't seen Debo show this skill set. Yes, he showed it in the receiving yeah. aspect. Stay However, now na- show it. Correct. Exactly. Bro, we saw it. We say. saw it on, on in, in the 49ers playoff run. They were they were another, running they were an, running Debo thing, on sweeps all the time. Another thing we haven't mentioned is that the addition of Trent Williams and him being the highest rated left tackle ever. I think he had a grade of 98, something around that line. And that definitely plays a factor into to guarding the blind spot. And that's definitely a reason why Jimmy has also been effective. So that definitely helps your argument a little bit. However, Jimmy Garoppolo, what what else is there to say about him? Last week, he, he stepped up when you needed him most. And, Atlanta, and I'm the one that... Atlanta won seven games with the roster they have. You put Jimmy G on that Atlanta Falcons roster. Are they winning seven games? Let me let me look at their schedule real quick, and I will let you know. But give your spiel. I'll give my spiel. This game is tough for me to pick. You know, I keep thinking in my mind that it's an upset. Like, I actually, you know, in my mind, I'm trying to pick upset. But 
I just feel like if the if the Rams lose here, it's going to be such a disappointing end to the season. To lose in the first round, no, it would be. This it is would, this is a business. No, I'm, I'm I mean, you, you traded two first. You traded two first round picks for Matt Stafford, and to lose in this game, you know how embarrassing that's going to be, especially no if Matthew Stafford is the one who doesn't play up to his potential. Versus the Niners, week eighteen, he was hobbled. He was limping. After he made a throw, he came up limping. And I don't know if that's still going to bother him this game. When I look at the, these two teams, it, it's, 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 very, it's a very even mashup. The Rams are just 22nd, uh, 22nd against the pass, and they just lost Jordan Fuller, who's their leading tackler. Because of that, they signed Eric Weddle for what what's that's worth. We know he's a big-time name, but is he, is he still good? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Eric Weddle's going to still be good. He hasn't played in two years, and you're counting on him in a high intensity environment to now perform to the level of Jordan Fuller, who is, who led the team in tackles in the regular season. I, I find that hard to believe the Cardinals can't stop the run. They're 20th against the run. They're seventh against the pass. I, I think that's going to really be what, what kills them if they can stop the run in Sony Michelle and with Cam Akers back. But Arizona is seven and no when JJ Watt plays this season and if you would have asked me, if J.J. Watt stayed healthy the entire year, I think they, they're they first in the NFC. I don't think they go on a slump this big. I think they're still first in the, in the NFC. But ultimately, I think the Rams win this game because even though J.J. Even though JJ Watt is coming back, you know, this is on such short notice. The Cardinals averaged 21 points per game without DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. And they are one and nine against the Rams with Sean McVay. And Kyler Murray struggles against the Rams. He's thrown seven touchdowns to six interceptions when he's faced them. He's been Matthew Stafford in primetime against them. So because of that, I just don't trust Kyler Murray in this big of a game yet. I don't think Kyler Murray, outside of the game against Seattle last year, has really shown us he can perform at this high-intensity lever- leverage moment, and versus Dallas when they beat Dallas, too. I'll give him that. But Kyler Murray, I'm still kind of on the edge of my seat about of whether or not he can perform in these high-leverage moments. I think, ultimately, the Rams should win this game. And the Rams will win this game if Matthew Stafford takes care of the ball. If he throws two interceptions, they're going to lose this game. Even one if it's at a costly moment. But oh, I, I think... My prediction for this game is I think it's going to be 34 to 28. Rams will come on, come out on top. I don't think Arizona will be able to overcome D hop's absence. At least in the first matchup, D hop was there. You know, his presence was there. They're not going to have him this game. And Jalen Ramsey can lock up AJ green or Christian Kirk. It doesn't matter who you put on him. Um, JJ Watt not being 100% definitely led to my decision. I don't know how big of an impact he's truly going to have on the game. And, you couple that with the Cardinals not being able to stop the run and the Rams being one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. I just don't know how you can't pick the Rams in this game. You know, there are going to be some people that pick the Cardinals and don't get me wrong. I was one of those people, but the only reason why is because I am still weary of Matthew Stafford. And I've been telling you guys all year long. I don't trust Stafford. So we'll see when if he if he changes my so mind. Spicy. We'll see if what he changes my mind this game. 
What has to happen? One playoff win, two playoff wins. What has to happen for you to be like, nah? No, he's got to win the Super Bowl. He's got to win the Super Bowl because if he goes to the NFC Championship, right, and he faces, as of right now, a better Packer team, and he has a three-touchdown, two-interception game, I already know what Joel's going to say. Can't get it done. Even if he goes to the NFC Championship. Is that true, Joel? Listen, as long as Stafford doesn't lay an egg, I will will change my stance. But these things are more about feeling, right? I like that. I like that. This is more about feeling. When I watch Stafford, I don't feel the trust. I don't feel like he's comfortable in those moments. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. When you watch Kirk in primetime, you don't think he's going to get it done. When I watch Mahomes, when I watch watch Rodgers, when I watch Brady, I'm like, I feel comfortable. Herbert, yeah, and he's proven that to me, converting six, four downs. I mean, I'm comfortable with Herbert. I'm not comfortable with Stafford. I'm not comfortable with Tannehill. I'm not comfortable with Kyler. There, I'm not even Jimmy G. I'm I'm kind of comfortable with Jimmy G. To tell the truth, I'm not. Oh, you're comfortable with Jimmy G. Yeah, but I you're am. not comfortable with Tannehill, who has had a couple upset victories in the playoffs. You're not comfortable with Matthew Stafford, who is clean, clean over Jimmy G. Like if, it's not even a debate. If this was if this was last season or 2019, my trust in Tannehill is sky high. But this year, I do think he he's made some really boneheaded mistakes, and I don't trust him the I'm, same way. It's tough because I feel like I've been very firm on this. Tannehill is in a rough spot where his offensive line is dog do. It's not good by any means. And A.J. Brown and Julio Jones have been in and out of the lineup. However, A.J. Brown has returned, and we've seen Tannehill play better. I'm not saying he's back to Tannehill-esque status that he was at these previous two seasons. However, we've at least seen him get back to playing like a solid quarterback. Okay. And that's what that's what getting an, uh, uh, your number one option does for you. And now we're going to have Derrick Henry make a return. I feel like it's just a little bit too harsh on Ryan Tannehill. You picked the Rams. I picked the Rams. Now, Joel, are you picking the Rams as well? We have a clean sweep here again. I'm picking the Rams too. I don't. Love it that we're all picking the Rams. I feel like we might have a little. Yeah, Joel, there. what did you do? I, Joel, I was why? surprised. Why? <laughs> why did you think I was going to pick the Cardinals? Because you're a hater. That's I'm what not a Rams done. hater. I'm just realistic. You are a Rams hater. You're a Rams low hater. Key, low key. You're low a key. Stafford hater. Bro, there's no low Come key. Us. It's high key. It's the highest you, key, actually. I, I w- I w- I'm not a Stafford hater, bro. No, you are. You are just, a Stafford hater. You don't have as much you know faith than we do. It's I okay. love Matthew Stafford. I really do. Bro I love said, Stafford. Bro said they're, 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 they're winning the Super Bowl the next week. He said it was the worst decision he's ever made in his life. <laughs> so I don't want to hear you say that you like the Rams. I don't want to hear it. it I, I never said I like the Rams. I said I like Stafford. And that too. I don't want to hear that either. No, because you you think just because I like a guy, I gotta I gotta be like, oh, he's the clutchest guy in the NFL. Oh, I trust That's him with my life. That's not what I'm saying. No, not what I'm saying. I don't I'm trust just saying Stafford. you need to be a little bit more respectful of one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Oh man! All right, please. So, uh, so, you, I was gonna say you two could debate this this topic all night if we were gonna be here, but the reason I'm picking the Rams is I just think the Cardinals peaks in October. You know, they're playing their best football. Joel, you mentioned it. They were 7-0 when J.J. Watt was playing. But I think more importantly than not, it was just Kyler Murray, since returning from injury, just hasn't really been the same guy. He's averaging 30 less passing yards per game. His completion percentage dropped from 72%, which was highest in the league, to 66%, which is average in the NFL. 
He's dropped by a full touchdown per game. His yards per attempt, they're not pushing the ball down the field as much. Some of that does have to do with missing DeAndre Hopkins. I agree. Um, even still, though, he's down to 7.2 yards per attempt, which is the same as Baker's and Teddy Bridgewater. So they're not taking as many shots, as explosive plays as they once have. But the one area he has improved in is his rushing, where he was averaging 28 yards per game, um, or he's averaging 28 yards per game more pre-injury, post-injury than pre-injury, which I don't love because I don't want him to get injured again. This is two years in a row now where we've seen Kyler Murray get banged up and return from injury and just not been the same quarterback. He's a smaller guy. He's five foot 10 on his best day. He's, he's not the biggest guy, you know, he's probably 200 pounds soaking wet, if that. So I do worry about him when it comes to running the ball as much, but he does have a, a really good ability to slide. He was a former baseball player, get out of bounds. So not as worried about him as Josh Allen, but he's also a smaller guy, like I mentioned. So I don't love it. I'll, I'll also the Cardinals. Yeah. Oh, you were going. You you were gonna. You kept going. I yeah. yeah but do you want to? You have something to say, bro? Go ahead. All right. I'll also say that when Kyler faced the Rams and the the matchup that the Rams won, one of Kyler's interceptions was tipped, and it was like it. It he had an open receiver. He just threw the ball a little bit too low, and it was intercepted. But that wasn't. I don't think that was a bad interception in my eyes. When you look at Kyler's interceptions versus the Rams, they weren't like. Why'd you make that throw interception? It was kind of like, ah, damn, you, you just bad. It's just bad luck. Like it's just bad luck. So if he can protect the ball, I give them a big chance to beat the Rams. I really do. I think this this is one of I them just, where where it's like this. I hate that. This, I hate that. Honestly, this, I don't know, bro. It's hard to no, go. He's smiling because he's not knows. playing well. Come on now. What do I know? They haven't been playing well recently, bro. They're two and four since their bye week in week twelve. They have two bad losses: one to the Lions, one to Seattle. The Rams, on the other hand, are five and two since they're by in week 11. And their only losses are against the Packers, which I think we all agree are the best team in the league right now, and the 49ers week 18, which they were in control of, but it was a very uncharacteristic loss that they, um, you know, second half kind of blew the game. And the Cardinals have also allowed 30 more points in half of those games. So their defense hasn't played well, too. I'm sure J.J. Watt's going to help with that. But even still, it's hard to ask a 32-year-old J.J. Watt, 33 however old he is, to come back from injury, come into the playoff game, and automatically just flip around this whole defense. I, I don't think that's really going to happen. If Stafford plays well, I'll come on the show and I'll say I trust Stafford. Not not just this game. Well, I mean throughout the playoffs. Well, that's what I mean. But may, maybe this is his only playoff game. You don't know. They could lose. They, it's, one one interesting thing is the Cardinals are eight and one on the road. Yes, they are. They're they're really good on the road. So yeah, they're expect. It's weird. You don't see that often, but it is weird that they're so great on the road and. Not that good at all at home, but I agree. I got the Rams winning this game. I'll say this. All the signs point to Arizona upsetting the Rams. All the signs point to it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You mentioned it. The, the, Cardinals, the, the Cardinals are 8-1 and one on the road. Matthew Stafford came up limping after a throw to Cooper Cup versus the 49ers. He's a bit, he's a bit hurt. Jordan Fuller is injured, their leading tackler. They had to sign Eric Weddle off the streets. It, that was the, weird. the Rams feel like that team that has all this name brand recognition on it. Matthew Stafford, Odell, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. But they just don't get it done. It just it this just feels like an upset. It feels like an upset. I'm not gonna pick the Arizona Arizona to beat them, but it feels like an upset. And this is this is the biggest toss up 
outside of the the Niners and Cowboys game there is the, on Wild Card Weekend? I think the Rams are going to handle business, man. I just uh, the Cardinals were playing their best football too early in the season. It's hard to come into the playoffs not playing well and make that flip in the playoffs, especially with a young quarterback and young head coach. I have zero, zero, zero doubt in my mind that the Rams come out on fire offensively and put this game to bed. You better say that. You're obligated to say that. Listen, without this, it's I'm a not obligated. They don't. I'm All not, the pressures on the Rams. All the pressures on the Rams. The main reason, like you guys said, DeAndre not being there, Jalen Ramsey now, who you had AJ Green in that first game, have over a hundred yards receiving, is going to be taken out of that game. Christian Kirk is not that X factor type receiver that I'm worried about out of the slot. That's going to be the reason why they lose this game. If the Cardinals win this game, it is solely because. Kyler Murray put on a show. That is the only possible way that they win this game. And I'm not saying that it's impossible because he's Kyler Murray. And and Kyler Murray is that dude. That being the force of turnovers. Yes, the force turnovers. That that that, that really you have to have Kyler Murray play at ten a ten out of ten game, and you need this defense to to take over. And I don't I don't see both of those things happening. All right. So before we get on to talking about the coaches that got fired. I think this is a bit of a fun game I want to play right now. It's called Trust or Don't Trust NFL Playoffs Edition, right? So Here we go. Here we go. I am going to name every quarterback on every single playoff team, and I want you guys to tell me if you trust or don't trust them, and I'll answer along as well. So okay. first team. So real quick, we're saying trust in the playoffs, trust to go to the Super Bowl. No, you just you you just trust in the quarterback. You trust this quarterback in a high leverage situation. Let, okay. Let's just say, come on, bro. Pretty simple. Two minute drive. You trust this quarterback, and you don't trust this quarterback. So first off, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers. Yes. Trust. I I'm trust. Patrick Mahomes. Yes. Trust. Unfortunately, I trust Buccaneers. Tom Brady. Trust. No. Of course. <laughs> Of course you trust him. I trust him too. Josh Allen. I trust Josh Allen. I trust Josh Allen. Because he could do it with his arm or he's proven he could do it with his legs. I I trust him. I do trust him. I'm weary of that answer though. But go ahead. Ryan Tannehill. Don't trust. That's tough. I'm going to say don't trust. I don't trust Tannehill. Dak Prescott. I trust Dak. I trust Dak. Mm. This is the toughest one so far for me. I I trust Dak. I trust Dak too. Now Joe Burrow. Trust. I trust him. I trust Burrow. Matthew Stafford. Here we go. I trust, trust Daffy. He's been the best fourth quarter quarterback in the league, man. I don't Talk trust. I don't trust Matthew Stafford at all. I don't. <laughs> now Mac Jones. Don't, Don't trust. trust. I trust him. Trusting Mac and not trusting Stafford so is crazy, it's so, bro. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. It's, it's crazy. Insane. I don't. I don't. I don't trust Mac Jones. I don't trust. Thank him. you. Thank, Thank you, Christ. Bro. Kyler. Thank you. Kyler Murray. Trust. I don't trust Kyler Murray too much right now. He's bro. You're okay. Jimmy Garoppolo. He has to say that, by the way, because he knows that. Earlier in the season, he spoke ill on his name, so he has to be consistent. Tyler's I respect. Dog. I respect. However, Jimmy G, I'm going to say trust with Shanahan. I trust. I, I believe in the 49ers, man. I think they're going to run. 
I'm 50-50 on Jimmy G, but I'm leaning towards trust. Now, Derek Carr. Trust. I mean, what he's done this season is nothing short of spectacular. You got to trust him. I trust DC 100% all the way. Now, Jalen Hurts. Don't trust. Don't trust. I don't trust Hurts either. Now, Ben Roethlisberger. Hell no. He had an entire career of being trustworthy. Yeah, I was about to say, come on now. An entire career of being trustworthy. Yeah, I don't trust Ben either. So that does uh, it for trust or don't yeah, trust. Say no. Let us know in the comments <laughs> down below who do you trust or don't trust in these playoffs. Which quarterbacks do you trust and not trust in the playoffs currently? Now, a bunch of coaches got fired, I think about six or seven. So Brian Flores got fired. Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, that's two. Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, that's three. Vic Fangio, four. Joe Judge, five. Am I missing somebody? Did you say Flores? I did say Flores. I think that's it, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. You, I, I thought that was, I thought there were seven head coaching vacancies. Well, Urban Meyer, Jacksonville, yeah, that's you're right. One. Yeah, at John Gruden, uh, there it is. Yeah, or David Cully in Houston. Opening. David Cully yeah. is returning. That was reported Confirmed. because I heard that I it's believe- not. Now, I could have swore that they're bringing him back next season. I could be wrong, but I'm that I'm pretty sure that's what I read. So we'll talk about the uh, hottest trending topic amongst these coaches, Brian Flores, and we could we could talk about this for a while. Brian Flores was let go by the Miami Dolphins. He went twenty four and twenty five as a coach, five and eleven his first year, ten and six his second year, and nine and eight this past season. Now. All everybody is saying is that this was a bad decision. The Dolphins made a mistake, all this and all that. Flores was reportedly fired, according to Stephen Ross, because he was unable to to work with Chris Greer and Ross. He was unable to work with them in a collaborative way, and the relationships just weren't that great. I read an article by Ben Solak from The Ringer that Brian Flores won the game on the field, but he lost the game off of it, like politics and, and you know, building relationships. So what do you think about Brian Flores being fired by the Dolphins? Are you shocked? Was this the right or wrong move? Drew, you called Brian Flores not a head coach not too long ago. You said he's a defense coordinator, not a head coach. So I want to, see, I want to hear your answer. Was this the right decision? So... To go into what you were saying about he's a defensive coordinator, not a head coach. It goes into basically everything you just said in terms of not being able to build relationships with every player on this team, including defensive players, which he's supposed to be the leader of. You had a guy in Kyle Van Noy who in New England was a, had a spotless record, did not have any issues off the field, on the field, within the locker room. This guy was a mint leader for the defense. He came out and became a spokesperson for this Dolphins team when it came to to, to handling the, the 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 not controversy. Help me out. The word just whatever was going on internally uh, within the the defense and, and the organization. He became a spokesperson a person for this defense and trying to just be a a leader for these guys. And Brian Flores just refused to hear Kyle Van Noy out. He, he really just had an issue with communicating with players. He's not a people person. And when you are 
in now modern day NFL and you are not winning football games, you are not allowed, for lack of a better term, to be an asshole. You have Bill Belichick, who is allowed to be that because he has had the success that he's had. If you are not bringing your team to a playoffs, if you are not getting Super Bowl rings to your resume, you are not allowed to be this type of individual. You need to be a player's coach. You need to show some type of success. And although last season you had the Dolphins defense give up the six fewest yards, having the most takeaways last year, this season give up the 16, oh, excuse me, 16, uh, sixth and fewest points given up, excuse me, and first in takeaways. And this season, middle of the pack in yards, bottom uh middle of the pack in points this defense was good it wasn't great it had a great uh, great span of games but that also had to do with the offenses that they were playing against brian flores is great at drawing up a scheme he is a fantastic defensive coordinator he is not a great people person and as a head coach you need to be solid on all levels there was a report actually that just came out that tua and him got into an altercation and tua is not that type of individual to curse to be forwardly blunt with being angry towards an individual. He and Flores went at it where apparently Tua was, was letting off explicits towards Flores. They really had that uh, a bad falling out. And ultimately, I feel as if this came down to the organization choosing the quarterback over the head coach. We see that Tua can have some kind of success when he's put in a position to be successful. Now, that was not the case the majority of the season. Brian Flores did not do a great job of putting the personnel around Tua to be successful. There's three offensive coordinators on the Dolphins right now. That should not be. You need to have one across the board. And and for someone that is so defensive, so strongly in their defensive mind, you need to have one guy that you can completely trust to take care of that. And that just was not the case with the Dolphins right now. You have people on the outside looking and saying that this is borderline inexcusable. Brian Flores is one is going to be the main primary target for a head coaching job uh, this offseason. And, and rightfully so. Listen, I'm talking as a Bronco fan. I would love Brian Flores to come coach my team. That being said, if he's not going to be able to, to build relationships with the team, I don't know if I want that on, on my on my roster. It, it's about team camaraderie. It's about team chemistry. And if you don't have that, ultimately, you're not going to be able to get it done. You said something interesting, Drew, that I just want to pick your mind. You said that the owner picked Tua over Brian Flores, but the owner also said the next head coach will decide if Tua will be the quarterback of Miami Dolphins. I did hear that. And if I'm being honest, I think that that's that's noise. And I do think that Tua will be the starting quarterback next season. That's a bold statement, though, to come out and say you're the owner. You make you have the final say on these things. Because there's talks of also Deshaun Watson coming to the team. That, but like, Watson that, was also linked because of Flores. And ultimately, I just don't think that Deshaun Watson's name is one that you just look over as a head coach. If you have that, if the head coach comes in and says, I want Deshaun, the Dolphins have the assets to get that done. Again, I've been saying this multiple times. It is Deshaun Watson. If that's who they're going to move on from to a tongue of Iloa, what can I really say? I, I hold to Deshaun in terms of football talent to one of the highest regards. I believe that he is the most talented quarterback in the NFL, given everything that surrounds the quarterback position. So if that's if that's what they're determining, if they're going to go out and get Deshaun, then that's a whole different conversation. But 
if the if they're just talking solely about just the head coach making a, a decision of Tua or uh, Matt Ryan or Tua or uh, a Jimmy G, if if the Niners decide to move on, I don't think that that's the case. I solely think that it's terms of Deshaun or Tua. My opinion. That's fair. Right now, when Brian Flores got fired, I believe that every single AFC East team threw a pizza party. The Jets, the Patriots, the Bills. Because now the Bills and Patriots are are saying, wow, we don't have to worry about the Dolphins in the division anymore. We don't have to because we know the Jets are up and coming. The Jets, Robert Sala is trending in the right direction with Joe Douglas and Zach Wilson is going to be a superstar. But they're looking at the Dolphins like, what are you doing? You said you can only get away with being an asshole if you win. Brian Flores won 10 games his second year as a coach. Nine games this past season. Went on a seven-game win streak. And you mentioned it. Oh, but the offenses they were facing in that stretch weren't very impressive. Well, you weren't saying that when we told you Tua is not very impressive because he's beating up on bad defenses. But with Flores, you're using that to knock him. Okay, I understand. Now, you're right. This came down. I believe the Dolphins fired Brian Flores because they picked between Flores and and Tua. I also think Chris Greer wanted to save his butt and his behind, so he had to use somebody as a scapegoat, and it was Brian Flores. Now, Chris Greer isn't isn't without blame. He's been drafting pretty well. I mean, this past draft class, drafting Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, and Jalen Wada was exceptional, but he's missed on every single offensive lineman. Robert Hunt is average. Austin Jackson looks like a bust, and Dater, who they drafted in the third round, just isn't a starter. So he's missed, and I can make an argument that Brian Flores overachieved with the talent that was given to him. The only the the one thing I will say about Flores is that there was too much dysfunction within the offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator. In his three years, he hired four different offensive coordinators, two defensive coordinators, and four different offensive line coaches. But when you look at the top two problems with the Miami Dolphins, they have nothing to do with Brian Flores. For one, the biggest problem with the Dolphins is the offensive line. That has nothing to do with Flores. Greer is drafting and bringing in free agents who can't play. That has nothing to do with Flores. The Dolphins' second biggest problem is the quarterback position, is Tua. Brian Flores can't do anything about that. You're, you're saying this with the most not straight face. I no, know you don't believe. No, this. I, 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 be, I, I believe it because I want to actually see your reaction. But li- listen, yeah, listen to this, exactly. Joe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not entertaining. The yet. second biggest problem on the Dolphins is the quarterback position is Tua. Brian Flores, two years in a row now, has put the Dolphins in a position to make the playoffs. And two years in a row, who's come up short? Tua has come up short. Week 17 versus the Bills, he threw three interceptions, completed 50% of his passes. Then versus the Titans, week week 17 this season, he laid an egg. He wasn't the most accurate quarterback in the league like you like to say, it's Drew. Raining. He wasn't it's more raining. he wasn't more accurate than Joe Burrow like you like to say, Drew. He wasn't that. Tua laid an egg. In back-to-back seasons, in the biggest games of the season, Tua has laid an egg. And Brian Flores is getting blamed for it. Now, if Tua becomes a franchise quarterback, then the Dolphins made the right decision. Because ultimately, 
you take a franchise quarterback over a head coach 10 times out of 10. But in this case, it looks like Brian Flores was better as a coach than Tua is as a quarterback. Because I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. Tua, to me, is not a franchise guy. He's Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. You can win with Tua, but you won't win those big games against Tennessee, against Buffalo, with Tua. You won't get over the hump with Tua. If you want to maximize Tua, you know, now the Dolphins, this is what's going to happen. The Dolphins fire Flores. They're going to they're gonna try and maximize Tua, get him offensive line help this offseason, draft some more weapons and even some more offensive line. And guess what? In a year from now, we're going to be saying, wow, this looks like Baker Mayfield 2.0. Tua has all these weapons, and we're looking at the Dolphins like, wow, their roster is so great, it's so elite, but the quarterback position is holding them back. That's what we're going to do. And I think firing Brian Flores was the wrong decision. I'm so torn here. Because on one case, Drew, 100% agree with what you're saying. In a head coach, the number one thing you need, you need to be a team builder. You need to be able to relate to everybody on the team. You need to be a good leader. You need to be able to communicate well. That's all. That's what goes into being a head coach. Or X's and O's is important, sure. But Brian Flores is a great X and O coach. So is Mike Zimmer. They both got fired. Because if you can't deal with personalities and players, you're only going to make it so far in the league. And one thing that I was surprised you didn't bring up, Joel, is one of the reasons as well that probably went into this behind the scenes, Brian Flores wanted Herbert. Flores wanted Herbert over Tua, and Greer wanted Tua over Herbert. The reason Am I, I incorrect there? The reason I didn't mention that is because I think you might be incorrect there because I was going to mention that, but the truth is I was, I was on Twitter and I was looking at a Miami beat reporter or a somebody who's a Miami Dolphins insider on Twitter and – he basically went on a barrage of tweets and said that those those reports about Brian Flores wanting Herbert are false. Stephen Ross, Greer, and Flores all wanted Tua. And when it comes to Deshaun Watson, all three of them wanted Deshaun Watson. It wasn't just Flores. So they all wanted Watson in the building. So from what I've read from that source that I will I'll bring up his name shortly is that that's not true and that okay. that's just that's just trying to make Brian Flores look good. Okay, that's fair then, because Flores is a great coach, for sure. I think, Drew, what you said, he's a great defensive coordinator. He's probably not a head coach, and we kind of see that with a lot of Patriots, you know, coaches in the past. Matt Patricia had the same issue. McDaniels, when he was in Denver, also had that issue. But what Flores did can't go unnoticed. I mean, in 2019, which was a bad roster, they started off 0-7. They went on to win five of their final nine games, ended up 5-11. and And then the next season, 2020, with Tua coming in, there was this weird quarterback controversy that I guess you can make the argument that it is somewhat Brian Flores' fault because it didn't really seem like he put his full trust into Tua. He had Tua coming in and out of games, Fitzpatrick coming in and out of games. But regardless, I think last season, Fitz gave them the best chance to win. But the GM, the owner, the fan base all wanted to see Tua, which was why there was some pressure there to start Tua. And we saw last year, he just wasn't that great. He's a great defensive coach. The defense was not good his first year, but he was able to build on that. In 2020, they were phenomenal last year. Sixth in scoring, most takeaways in the NFL, 11th in sacks. While they did take a bit of a step back this year, they're still top 10 in takeaways, 14th in scoring, sixth in sacks, and had five wins against teams that were over 500, which was tied for sixth in the NFL. So Flores is a good coach. It's just when you have that personality that is kind of like a my way or the highway, you're going to do what I want. 
it's hard to get players to really trust in you when you're unproven. Bill Belichick, sure, you could do that. Andy Reid, who's not like that, but just saying, if he wanted to be like that, he has a track record of winning. When Flores doesn't, and it, it seemed like at, at times, especially his relationship with Tua was never the best. I think no matter what your relationship is with your quarterback or any player for that matter, you should never go up to the podium against with reporters and in any way, shape, or form talk bad about a player. That's something you do behind the scenes, you know, under, with, with closed doors there. You don't go out and tell reporters and let your fans know as another team knows how you truly feel about a player because that's not going to help them. That's only going to hurt them. There are going to be some players that, you know, that do respond to that. But I think generally, especially Tua, who hasn't had the best start of his career. You know, Drew, you think he's a franchise guy. I think no matter what, they didn't, they didn't draft this version of Tua. When they drafted him, they thought they were getting Alabama Tua before the hip injury. And I think it's fair to say that's not what he's been so far. Can he someday turn into that? Maybe I don't have the utmost confidence. I just don't think he's there in terms of an athlete or arm strength. But regardless, when you have and and um, to make the mistake of Tua over Herbert is also going to play into that. I do agree with you, Joel. I think Greer kind of had a bit of a scapegoat saying we did make, I made a mistake drafting two over Herbert. I'm going to let Flores go. Now I am interested to see where they go because they have Tua. The owner came out and said it's to be up to the next head coach to decide what ends up happening with Tua. I think that kind of just gives that problem off of their plate saying like, oh, it's not on me or the GM. Whoever we hire is head coach, he's going to decide, which I think is kind of, you know, like, I don't know. I think if you're the GM and, and owner, you should make that decision along with the head coach, not specifically just the coach making that decision. But the Dolphins still haven't won a playoff game since 2000. So I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like they just lost like Bill Belichick or Vince Lombardi. You know, Flores is a great coach, but it just didn't work out. It's unfortunate. He's going to have another opportunity to be a head coach or a defensive coordinator somewhere. But I think at the end of the day, it was just a scapegoat because they made the wrong decision by taking two. Uh, I mean, I think Flores is going to be a head coach by the time this coaching cycle is done. He's going to be a head coach again. There is no doubt. But I wanted to talk. I wanted to uh, respond to what you said about Tua being Alabama Tua. I, Alabama Tua was a great college quarterback, just not a great NFL one, and we see that all the time. Jake Fromm was a great college quarterback. He's not a good NFL one, and, that, and that's what Tua is. I don't think he just Fromm was never Tua in college. Drew, yeah. let me he let wasn't me the prospect. Drew, Tua was. Drew, let me ask you something. Does Tua does he or does he not have average NFL arm strength? Average NFL arm strength is average is nice. I would run with yeah. that. All right, probably it might it might be below average if we're being honest. Arm strength side on that side because there uh, is <laughs> it's hard to think of many quarterbacks who have. A but but look at this. No look at this. See, but I, I, I this? just feel like you take you guys look at the guys in the league that have the best arm strength. A Herbert. Uh, I, I would even throw in obviously a Mahomes. You a think Josh Tua Allen. has a better arm than Jimmy G? I was thinking the same thing. Yes. No, he doesn't. Okay, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you believe Just that. Just arm strength? I don't know, yes. man. Okay, but, but look at this. This is from Omar Kelly. Omar Kelly is a full-time NFL columnist for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. So mm-hmm. I, I would say he's pretty connected. He's also verified on Twitter, has like 80,000 followers. He said this. Here is the fact about Brian Flores, Chris Greer, and Justin Herbert. If Flores wanted Herbert, that would have been the pick because Chris Greer would have would give his coach the QB he wanted. This can't and shouldn't be debated anymore, so stop spreading fiction. 
Brian Flores demoted Fitz, replacing him with Tua because he needed to see who, what Tua was. This is fact, not fiction. Flores soured on Tua for whatever reason and didn't do enough to foster a good relationship with him. Fact, not fiction. We are not going to rewrite history. And it was also the entire organization, not just Flores, who wanted Deshaun Watson. That is Ross, Greer, Flores, assistants, and players who wanted and maybe still want Watson over Tua. So th- that's what he said. Those were his exact words about that yeah. whole thing. That's why he's, I don't. Yeah, that, I was gonna say that's why I didn't want to mention reporter. it because I, I don't want. And Colin Coward mentioned it on his show because I, as I was searching for it, I saw it. He mentioned that Brian Flores wanted Herbert over Tua. You know, it's whatever. It's a it's a it's a good narrative to run with because obviously it makes Brian Flores look like a genius. You know, yeah. so I, I don't I want I don't want to give him that benefit of the doubt. Because Herbert was also a prospect at the time that people had questions. Yeah, like for sure. Every single we have to stop acting like everybody didn't miss on Justin Herbert. Yeah, Almost crazy. everybody missed on Justin Herbert. Daniel Jeremiah, Matt Miller, NFL draft scouts, Bucky Brooks. Like when you look at every single source, if you go back at, to that time, 2020, before the draft, every single draft board had Tua over. Herbert and there wasn't we didn't think Herbert was going to be a franchise quarterback that wasn't consensus so we have to stop acting like he was such a slam dunk home run no-brainer pick because it it felt like at the time everybody thought he was like a Ryan Matlett like very talented (laughs) I know but like you know you know what I mean like a very talented but not a great quarterback yeah no one was 100% sold and people were very sold on to it that I mean Maybe it was the hip injury that really kind of changed his trajectory in the NFL because, I mean, it's a very serious injury. And we're two years past that now. And I feel like with modern medicine, you know, that's something that you could probably get over in two years. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to sit here and give you 100% certainty. That's just my opinion. But, Drew, uh, you could go ahead and rebuttal. I feel like you have something to say. I was going to say, being a first responder, knowing a little bit more about medicine, I can tell you a hip injury is a lot different than a ligament tear or anything doing any soft tissue damage. It's a broken bone. He did completely took the, the ball of his hip out of the socket. It is not something that it's not an injury that you see very often. And one that relates to sports where we have now ACL injury or an Achilles injury, where it has become so common that these injuries occur that doctors have been able to get up to times now, really help these athletes recover, rehabilitate these injuries, whereas a broken hip is completely irregular in that sense. So I I definitely understand what you're saying. Modern medicine, for sure, you would expect that he would be able to recover. But I feel as if this injury has kind of scared him to a degree to not be as mobile as he once was at Alabama. At Alabama, we saw him really scramble. Go ahead. So I was going to say, does it scare him? Or do you think the injury has limited his mobility? He's not as mobile as he once was. I think the injury has, it's a little bit of both, but more so the injury. I think that with the line that he's given, he's running for his life already. And he's not trying to do more than what he needs to, or knows that his body body's capable of. And I feel like that's in the back of his mind. And also Tua is the most winning quarterback with Brian Flores. You have, Ryan Fitzpatrick with a losing record. You have Jacoby Brissett with a losing record. The only one that's given 
Brian Flores, a winning record is Tua Tungavailoa. So let's give it, I understand winning's not a QB stat, but in this situation, Tua brings the most success to the Dolphins. You want to know what that tells me? That tells me that Brian Flores can win with an average quarterback. And if you improve that position marginally, the Dolphins are a playoff team. See, but but you're saying that with last year, Devontae Parker being their best weapon. Uh, and this year, they add they add Jalen Waddell, and the offense actually is, a, is definitely better than it was last year. And Miles Gaskins is garbage. I was kind to him. I was kinder to him earlier in the year saying that he was average. We see Duke Johnson come in and have immediate success. So that's what he was playing with for a majority of the season. Duke Johnson comes in and the running game completely changes. So you fi- you finally upgrade that position, which I'm sure too is grateful for. And now you have Devontae Parker, who seems to be complaining more so than he is actually doing positive things on the field, which is annoying me because you see him off the field having interactions with fans focus on the game show your worth on the field Jalen Waddle does that and Jalen Waddle was not perfect this year but he still broke the record for receptions for a rookie so that is a he was he was great again I'm just saying he was not perfect but he still that is a huge step in the right direction for the Dolphins continue to put pieces around to a you will reap the benefits. You cannot put him behind the 32nd worst O-line and ask him to go and be Superman because the the style of football, and I'm going on too long. I apologize. We'll go to the next topic right after I finish what I'm saying. You can't have a pocket-tight passer like Tua and not put a mediocre line in front of him. Look at Eli Manning. Look at Ben Roethlisberger. These guys had great success in their career. Ben Roethlisberger is a little bit of an outlier, given the fact that he's a little bit more mobile. Eli Manning is a pocket passer type quarterback. When you gave him a pocket, he was able to give you postseason success. You take away that offensive line, people are asking for him to retire. Tua needs a pocket before anyone comes to this verdict that he's a quote-unquote bust. Nobody's saying he's a bust. Nobody is saying he's a bust. We're just saying he's an average quarterback. But average, but a bust. So if you're saying he's an average quarterback for being a top five pick overall, well, for that where is he, a bust. For, it, for where he was selected, yes, that is a bust. And that's exactly what I'm telling you. You, We need more than two years, barely a full – he has 16 games under his belt, so he's played a quote-unquote I got a question. Season. The Dolphins do or don't make the playoffs with Teddy Bridgewater this past season? Don't. Okay. What do you think, Joe? Oh, you can make the argument that they could. Tua had some rough Broncos are better than the Dolphins. That's true. That's true. They have better weapons than the Dolphins. They have a better O-line than the Dolphins. They have a better run game than the Dolphins. Their defense was better than the Dolphins. Teddy Bridgewater did not get us to the playoffs, so I don't want to hear that. Well, that's because your schedule was kind of tough, though. You're facing the AFC West. Even still, you're supposed to win games in your division. We haven't beat the Chiefs since Mahomes has come into the league. We lost to the Chargers twice. Well, I'm just making that note because I think Teddy Bridgewater is probably a slightly better quarterback than Tua is right now. You put in a way better situation than Tua was They're in the same tier. I don't know if they're drastically better. But the the one thing that does hurt. But do I think Teddy gives you one more win? Does Does he beat Jacksonville? Does he beat Atlanta? I think Tua did not play bad against. Again, you're saying that with the fact that Jason Sanders had a strong chance 
to put the Dolphins in a situation to win, and he blew it both times. So that narrative needs to stop. Because right. Tua played damn good against Jacksonville. He played damn good against Atlanta. So you picked two terrible games to say he couldn't be. two terrible defenses as well. Regardless of that fact, Tua played well. So it, All right, so now it's one thing after the other. No, but Come on it, now. I don't know if it was against Jacksonville or Atlanta, but he threw a, like a gut-wrenching interception late in the game. I'm not sure which game it was. Jason Sanders should have gave the Dolphins the win in both those games. So regardless of what happened, Jason Sanders is to blame. I, the the only th- the only reason why I don't I don't understand this Tua needs an offensive line argument. It's the thirty second. What what do you mean you don't understand <laughs> it? It's the worst in the Cause NFL. Listen, period. Because listen, because listen, this is what I'm about to say. You didn't let me finish. I'm sorry. It's ludicrous. We've because for one, the offense the Dolphins run isn't very reliant on having such a great offensive line. He gets the ball out quick. It's RPO. It's short passes. They need. They need to do that yes, because the old line it, sucks. That also fits Tua's game. Tua is not it a does. drop back quarterback. He struggles because in that he's area. not able to. He's not able to. But this is the thing. This is the thing. All you guys say is 32nd worst ranked offensive line. Okay, I understand that. Justin Herbert, as a rookie, set records with the worst offensive line. With the worst offensive line in the NFL, he set records. And he's oh, more mobile so, than Tua. So Keenan Allen's the he's, difference in setting records and being a bad rookie quarterback. That's what it is? Yeah, Are you I serious? I, I don't know. Come he's, on. He's more, he's more mobile. He had Keenan Allen, and he had a better play caller than Tua has right now. Really? Who is he? Can you name him? Can you? Shane Steichen. All right, so regardless of that fact, Herbert is a solid, and Anthony Lynn even, also was there. I don't there. even think Not Shane Steichen is a, a great is a anymore. But Anthony Lynn was calling the plays for that. No, he wasn't. However, Anthony Lynn's Anthony, not even a Anthony Lynn just got fired from Detroit. La, last season, Anthony Lynn was the head coach. He, Anthony Lynn is an offensive mind. He's not a good one. Tua had three offensive <laughs> coordinators being in his ear telling him a plethora of things. You need one guy to actually put you in a position. He had Bring two. in Pep Hamilton. Bring in say, who Pep do you want Hamilton. now, Drew? Who do you want? Bring okay, in. they fired Flores. You want an offensive mind, I'm assuming. You want a Pep Hamilton, a, a Dave Bring, Bull, one of these guys. You bring in an, a, a Nathaniel Hackett. You bring in a Pep Hamilton, someone that's actually working with the quarterback to improve his game. If he does not work out, then, hey, I will sit here and tell you I'm wrong. But I firmly believe you bring in a guy that's actually going to put him in position to be successful, he will. And Pep Hamilton has the track record. Joel went on. Uh, he he gave great examples. I like Pep Hamilton. Louis, I think that that would be a great choice. Defensively, they have the personnel to be successful. Offensively, they need someone into his ear, putting him in the right position to to work out. So you're t- you you're you were just saying you're telling me the difference between Herbert setting records as a rookie was Keenan Allen and Anthony Lynn calling plays. No, I said his mobility and Keenan Allen. He set records, bro. Yeah, I'm not. All right, you're also saying this like we haven't agreed that Herbert's a top five talent in the league. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's Justin it's, Herbert, but that's who right, they like, took over him though. That's who okay, they took. That's and, and, who and they I took. Ha- and I've been on record telling you that that was a, a mistake. Agreed. Herbert is better than Tua. Like that. Like it doesn't take a rocket science. Uh, Ryan, I know, but you, I mean, I, I just kind of got animated because you just you just told me you just basically implied Anthony Lynn is a good play caller. That's not what I'm saying. But he's a better play caller than what the Dolphins had. Was what I was what I was saying ultimately. Bro, he just got fired from Detroit. They fired yeah, him uh, again. Yeah, Anthony Lynn's not a good coach. They, they However, just they he's just better than. They, they, they literally told him to stop calling plays midway through the year, and that's when Amon Ross St. Brown went crazy. 
ultimately, you look at what the Chargers were doing and what the Dolphins were doing this year offensively, what can Tua do? You you give all the benefit of the doubt to Zach. And listen, I'm with you. Zach deserves the benefit of the doubt. What can he really do? What is Tua supposed to do? Tell me. What is he supposed to do? We have you have such is, unrealistic is, expectations for him. I feel I know, like but I feel, but you no, it, it's moments, not even that. Bro. He's had some bad games. You were you were just making it sound like Herbert was placed in this perfect situation. I'm not. I saying was that. I, I'm bro, saying, listen, last that's, year that's last, exactly, bro. Last year we saw Herbert throw 50 yard bombs off his back foot with the defensive lineman in his oh face. My, you're you're talking to me as if I don't know who Herbert is. I know who Herbert is. Right. Ultimately, I came into this season telling you Herbert was an MVP candidate. He's a top five quarterback in the NFL. The difference, it's the, hard the, difference to, the difference between Zach Wilson, because you mentioned Zach Wilson briefly. The difference between Zach Wilson and Tua is that our offense is actually telling Zach, we're telling Zach to make 20-yard throws down the field. We're asking him to wait for the progression to open up. Tua, once the ball is snapped, line. once the ball is snapped, it's a bubble screen, bro. What's the ball? It's snap. It's a it's a play action fake that's RPO. What, let me get he does let me get a slam. Damage. Like he's he's good. He's a good RPO quarterback. He gets the ball out quick. He's accurate. You know, in short yardage, and he's accurate down the field as well. It just hurts when I understand you don't have a good offensive line, but two is also a small quarterback. Like you brought up Eli and Big Ben, they're both six five. Like they're Fair. big guys. Two is Fair. not that hard to bring down. Get him a line. Give him some time. Get him another weapon on the outside. He'll be fine. So Jalen Waddle is that break. Dude. Next year, make or break. I will let you know based off the offensive line. <laughs> because, right. listen, Joel was here bashing Josh Allen, saying that uh, um, David Bakhtiari had a better chance of yeah. winning MVP. So I know that you're very quick to judge these quarterbacks when they have potential. So give him a chance. He will show you. I, I also wanted Josh Allen on the Jets pre-draft. Yeah, but then you said that he was mid. So like, it, yes, can't, because it, he again, was mid his first two seasons. Doubt by saying one thing, then you say another, then you say, "Oh, I said that I want." Bro, him on Josh my team. Allen didn't complete over fifty percent of his passes until his third year in the NFL. Exactly, I couldn't agree more with you, bro. I, I couldn't like hundred percent. That's not the issue. More spot. It's one thing if you're not accurate and you have all the arm talent. It's another thing if you are accurate but don't have the arm talent. But it was two seasons of being the most inaccurate quarterback in the league. But you stuck around with him because you knew he had potential. Tua has shown you he has the intangibles, but you have not put him in a in a position to be successful. It's that's the matter of the fact, and that's true. You but have not. But right now you're telling you're you're trying to you're trying to sell me on a quarterback that doesn't have talent. What do you mean he doesn't have talent? That's wild. The arm talent it's it's lacking. Who he has, has talent who, for sure? Who has more talent? Who who has more talent? Jared Goff or Tua? Tua. You th- what? You think so? Jared Goff, yes. number one overall pick? He has more talent? Straight face. Yeah. I Tua think doesn't so have more well. talent than Jared Goff, bro. I am sorry. I who, think he does. Who, who has more talent, Baker or Tua? Tua. Ooh, that's closer. But do you see who we're naming here? It comes to Baker. What? Come on, bro. You see who we're naming here? You Do you see who we're naming here? No, that's because you're, you're giving you. names. I'm in the same boat as you. Because if, if, if I name you, if I if I name you if I name you quarterbacks that are better, I know the answer, bro. Tua easily. Listen, it was easy to bash on Josh Allen early his career. It's easy to bash on Tua now. Tua is nothing like I, Josh Allen. It's just it, I, Josh it, had the talent. He had the arm talent already, like elite arm talent. It's just he had to work on the accuracy. It's the opposite for Tua. He also got Stephon Diggs. He also got a, a, a solid play caller that helped 
ultimately bring him to what he is now. Josh Allen gets 100% of the credit, too, because he has to do the work. He has to put the work yeah. in to actually become this quarterback. Tua has shown he's willing to do the work. Josh Allen didn't get Stephon Diggs until his third year. Correct. And that's, that's when, when he, he broke off. His set, who, what's a better receiving core? John Brown, Cole Beasley, or Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker? Waddle. With Gasicki also, because at that time, Dawson Knox was a rookie. I don't even think I don't think even think he was there. It was probably like Tyler Croft was he, there. He wasn't. I think yeah. Dawson Knox actually was there. This is your three year. for Knox. This is your three. Josh oh, Allen's okay. rookie season, his best receiver was Zay Jones. Like and Ruben Foster. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he wasn't throwing nobody. Well, but he struggled. Yeah. He didn't play well. It wasn't until his third year. But even in the second year, the Bills made the playoffs in the second season, bro. Mostly because of the defense. To and be fair, the Dolphins were a game away. Yeah, but Allen did it. They almost beat the Texans, too. They were a game away two seasons in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Too little too late. And the quarterback held them back. But on not, to the— Not true at all. On to the next— Because if he would have played early in the season, missing those three games, who knows what could have happened. Okay. On to yeah. the next team. Yeah, it's better than Brissett. The Vikings, the Vikings fired Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. They now end their Vikings tenure at 72-56 and 56 in eight seasons— three playoff appearances, and have missed it in each of the last two seasons. Now, what do you think about this? Was this the correct or wrong decision, right or wrong decision? I feel like this is pretty funny because you chose Zimmer, I chose Matt Nagy. They both ended up getting fired at the end of the season. So we chose two terrible quarterbacks to defend, excuse me, two terrible head coaches to defend. It is what it is. I think it was the right idea. Uh, you want to talk about not being a player's coach, not caring about his, his, the players and them having uh, some some sort of success. He, quote unquote, cares about winning more so than he cares about records. Then make the playoffs if you really care about winning. Show me something come playoff time. Regardless of that fact, I think that Zimmer, his time in Minnesota is over. I think you need you have too much talent offensively to not make a playoffs. At the minimum, you need to be a wild card team. Excuse me, got a burp. You have. Justin Jefferson, who is a top three receiver in the NFL. You have Adam Thielen, who unfortunately didn't miss some time, but he's still on that squad. Dalvin Cook, who's a top five running back in the league, arguably top three. Kirk Cousins had a fantastic year this year. His touchdown and interception ratio was fantastic. The offensive line needs a little bit of work. However, defensively, this guy Zimmer is supposed to be a defensive specialist, and this defense was some weeks very good. Some weeks very mediocre. There's no reason why, if your specialty is defense, that you should not have your the defense or what you're special at not be the head, uh, the main piece to your team. Excuse me. And that's pretty similar to the Bears, where you had Matt Nagy, who his specialty is offense, and his defense was the one that was actually stepping up for him. So it, it was weird in that sense for both sides. So I just figure you need you have a, a specialty clearly. You have a great offense. Bring in an offensive mind. Bring in someone that's going to elevate Jettis to another level than he's already at. Bring in someone that's going to elevate Kirk Cousins. They, he's shown great strides this year. This was easily his best year in Minnesota. You have the personnel if you're Minnesota. Get someone that's going to elevate these guys. Defensively, they're kind of in a hole right now. They're, all these guys are getting old. Emerson Griffin's getting old. Harrison Smith's getting old. Their corners are, 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 are whatever. That being said, you don't have to worry about the offense. You have to worry about the offensive line, but you don't have to worry about the special play, uh, the the skills players on that side of the ball. 
focus on drafting defense, bringing an offensive mind to really run this team. And I think that they'll be fine. Zimmer's time is up. I feel like he was getting too, too, uh, not, not, I guess, agitated to stagnant. a degree. It's, it's stagnant. That is, that's definitely the term I would use. He, def, I guess, complacent, complacent with what, what has been going on. And he's saying how he cares about winning, but what have you really shown to, to prove that you care about winning when your defense is the reason you guys happen to be losing these games? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was time for both these guys to go. The Vikings over these last, you know, five, six years, they've always been good, but never great. You know, obviously the game that stands out is the Minnesota Miracle. However many years ago that was with Stephon Diggs. Um, but I mean, back-to-back losing seasons now, it kind of gives the owner a reason to come in and fire them. And uh, I was actually, I was reading an article by Chad Graff of The Athletic uh, last night or the night before. Um, and he basically like went into year by year, like what happened. And to me, it seemed like, what really was the tipping point for them was the 2018 season. So after Case Keenum goes on that crazy run where he goes, he leads them to the playoffs. He looks like he was really good under Zimmer that year. He fit the offense really well. And then there was a bit of a clash, you know, if the front office wanted to go and really push for a high level quarterback, like Kirk cousins, I think I want to say Zimmer said they were 30 and four when the offense scored 21 points. So Zimmer is saying, I don't need an elite quarterback. Don't go and give Kirk Cousins 80 million guaranteed. Let's use this money and keep improving our defense. Because before that, in that 2018 season, their defense was spectacular. It was one of the best in the leagues. And that's really what Zimmer knows. So all of he's saying is, I don't need a quarterback with the crazy high ceiling. Because they both, the GM and the head coach, both saw Cousins and Keenum having basically the same ceiling. Most guys, sorry, you guys for a You're second. Good. You're good. Um, they both had the same ceiling, but they saw Kirk Cousins' floor as being much higher, which was the reason why the GM wanted to go out and get Cousins over Keenum. And uh, Zimmer basically told Spielman, "If you guys get this wrong, I'm going to be the one that gets fired." And it took a couple of years, but down the road, it ended up happening. And in the 2018 season, he hired De Filippo, fired him the same year. Zimmer had Stefanski take over in that same season, even though he blocked Stefanski for getting an offensive coordinator position in 2018. So he was Zimmer's kind of a weird guy. He was saying that there should be loyalty in the NFL. Zimmer said the offense struggled, you know, before this 2018 season, I kept Stefanski around. Now we're playing really well and he wants to go somewhere else. I don't think that's okay. And the NFL actually ended up putting a rule in place where if an offensive or defensive coach can get a promotion, the head coach can't block them anymore. So it, it seemed like that 2018 season, that that rip between Kirk Cousins and Case Keenum, who should be the guy going forward, really was the beginning of the end of their relationship, the GM as well. This season, though, it was just kind of the story of the Vikings. They were in 14 one-score games, which is an NFL record, had nine plays come down to the final play. That's just something that seems, you know, like preposterous. Like, how is that even possible? And then the last couple of years where – Zimmer is a defensive coach. They allowed the third most yards this year, the sixth most last year, the ninth most points this year, the fourth most last year. So I understand you're paying Kirk all of this money, but if you're a defensive coach, you should be able, you know, to, to make do at least like this is a bottom 10 defense in the league. There's no excuse if you are this elite X's and O's coach to have this bad of a defense. And in terms of Rick Spielman, listen, you could look at every GM. They're going to have great picks like Harrison Smith, Jettas, Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs in the fifth round. And you're going to have some bad picks like Laquan Treadwell and Christian Ponder. But it's really hard to sit here and nitpick at those little things when he did have some really good draft classes like in 2015, where Trey Wayne, sure, not the best pick. But then Eric Kendricks in the second, Daniel Hunter in the third, Stephon Diggs in the fifth. That's a franchise changing draft. 
So Spielman is going to get another job somewhere. Maybe it's not a GM, but he'll be an assistant or a high-level executive somewhere. Um, I think a good spot for them. So they're less two head coaches that both been defensive minds. I think they're in a good position to probably get someone like Mike McDaniel. He's worked under Shanahan and Gary Kubiak, who's been the same, who was they, uh, they hired their son last year. Uh, I forgot the first Clint name of Kubiak. Gary Kubiak's son, Clint Kubiak, who's been the offensive coordinator there. So it's the same offensive scheme. I think that's a good position to go through. Obviously, the NFL is becoming more offensive minded. A lot of the coaches in the playoffs this year are all offensive minded coach. So I think that's someone who would come in and fit really well there. I don't think they go three defensive head coaches in a row. So if it's not for Mike McDaniel, maybe someone like Brian Dable. But I do think they go in the offensive route. Rick Spielman should have never gotten fired. And it's a shame that the Vikings fired him because he was a good general manager and he did a lot of good things for Minnesota. Mike Zimmer is just a joke at this point. I mean, I'm really, I really got turned off by what he did to Justin Jefferson, not allowing him to break Randy Moss's record. I think that was just a shame. That was a travesty. Your, your receiver is 17 yards away from breaking the record and you decide to run out the clock and just run the ball then when asked about it later on, you say, I don't care about records. I care about wins, even though you're playing your starters in a meaningless week 18 game instead of seeing who what your young guys have. When asked about Kellen Mond, you go out there and say, I see Kellen Mond all the time. I don't care about seeing him in a game. Like, what do you mean? It's 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 game action. It's It's a quarterback. You took a rookie quarterback. So that was just disgusting to me. And. We have to stop acting like Kirk Cous- the Vikings signing Kirk Cousins was the beginning of the end for the Vikings. It was not. If anything, it maximized the window that was already closing. Case Keenum staying in Minnesota wasn't going to do anything for them. He it, he is an average quarterback. He had a great season, but if he would have gotten a contract extension, the Vikings would have found out very soon that he was just average. Kirk Cousins has had the best four-year stretch of his entire career with the Vikings. It's been the defense holding them back. This season, they ranked 31st in points given up. Last season, it was 29th. They've lost so many one-score games this year. That's not Kirk Cousins. That's Mike Zimmer. That's the coaching. And Eric Kendricks came out with this quote. He said, I don't think a fear-based organization is the way to go. Eric Kendricks, who has been the leader on this team, linebacker, all-pro player, when asked about who the next coach should be, said we shouldn't be a fear-based organization, which is what was the case with Mike Zimmer. Brian O'Neill, when asked about Zimmer, he said he wanted a better culture and how it can get better by just a simple, hey, how are you doing in the hallway? So this implies that Mike Zimmer wasn't even saying good morning to his players when entering the building. He wasn't even communicating with his players. And Kirk Cousins versus Dallas earlier this season didn't call a timeout because he felt like he needed to ask Mike Zimmer's permission. The quarterback is the extension of the coach on the field. And the fact that Kirk Cousins needs to ask Mike Zimmer permission is flat out ridiculous. This team needs a culture change. And at first, I thought that Brian Flores was a good fit. But I think he brings a lot of the personality, the same personality traits that Mike Zimmer probably brings, maybe at a, at a different level. But in terms of being a hard-ass and hard-nosed coach, Brian Flores is going to be that. I think Doug Peterson makes a lot of sense here. And he can maximize this offense 
Kirk Cousins is a very stable quarterback. And I'm tired of people thinking that Kirk Cousins is the problem with the Vikings. They gave him the contract because when you looked at the Vikings roster, the only thing that needed to be upgraded was the quarterback position. Case Keenum is average. But Kirk Cousins has been sabotaged by not only a bad coach, but a horrible defense these past seasons. The Vikings right now should be in the playoffs. They're not in the playoffs right now, but they should be. Mike Zimmer last year had all the excuses for his defense being bad. But this year, the front office went and spent $45 plus million in free agency, getting Patrick Peterson, getting Bashad Breeland, getting Dalvin Tomlinson. They spent a lot of money, and this defense has been worse this year. So that's Mike Zimmer's problem. It's not Kirk Cousins. That's not Rick Spielman. That's Mike Zimmer. I felt like they should have kept um, Rick Spielman. They didn't. It's whatever, but I'm glad Mike Zimmer is gone because... I mean, it was just flat out ridiculous what the Vikings have had to go through under this guy. I understand that this guy may not be the best interviewer. However, the enemy has to be in consideration for me. I understand that it seems as if when it comes to interview times, this it, it, he struggles to get past the interview and it turns off head offices, front offices, excuse me. You got to look at Eric Bieniemy and what he's been able to do with Kansas City since Mahomes has come in. And at least consider the idea that I have the offensive firepower that should be comparable to anyone in the league. Truthfully, I have Jettis, I have Dalvin Cook, arguably the, the best running back wide receiver duo in the in the NFL. Why not bring me a guy that has been able to deal with Andy Reid, pick his mind, play behind Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, bring him into this situation and see what he can do. Get past the idea that he is not a great interviewer. Because that has to be it. There, it makes no other no other sense of any other reason why he is not a head coach, given the fact that that Kansas City Chiefs offense has been one of the most high-pulling offenses over these last couple of seasons, last three or four seasons, however long Mahomes has been in the year, uh, in the league, excuse me. Give him a chance. If he doesn't give you success, then you have an excuse to fire him. But I do believe Eric Bieniemy can have success in the NFL. If it's between Peterson or Bieniemy, who's the coach? I feel like Peterson you don't has. I think the better McDaniel gets a shot. I think I think he should get a shot. I think he should get a shot. But I've heard that he's much more. He's linked to Miami. Interesting. I don't know. I feel like Peterson definitely has the better reputation. Uh, Obviously, he has a Super Bowl under a Super Bowl under his belt. Was able to do that with Nick Foles being his quarterback. I think that if it came down to the two, I think they probably would lean Peterson. However, I want to see the enemy get a shot. You saw what Peterson did; he kind of fizzled out towards the end of his towards the end of his tenure with the Eagles. Give the enemy a chance, truthfully. Now with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, was this the right or wrong decision? Offense has been is not what you need it to be. And regardless of, of how I, I may feel with, or had felt with Matt Nagy, it's come to the realization this guy's just not it. You change play calling duties to the offensive coordinator, the, the, play, the, the field just starts to open up. You kind of just threw in Justin Fields into an interesting situation, and he didn't develop as much as you would have liked him to develop in his rookie season. You had Allen Robinson take a huge step back in his game this season. However, we saw Darnell Mooney take a great increase in his, his play this year. You have Dave Montgomery, who's a great young talent in this NFL, in the NFL, excuse me. And he had some hot and cold moments. He started the season really hot, got, got, got injured, 
missed missed a few games, came back, struggled a little bit, but then started to pick it up towards the end of the year. I just think that there is too many good skill positions on this skill skill player, excuse me, on this team to continue to give Matt Nagy a pass. Offensive line wise, I still don't think that is the best. However, you do have a mobile quarterback, and that is supposed to make up for uh, the lack of offensive line to a degree. Matt Nagy just wasn't getting it done. Again, similar to Zimmer, your specialty is supposed to be offense, and your defense is the one that's picking up the slack more often than not. Should not be the case. You got weapons. You have some personnel that is de- that definitely should give you some kind of success. Utilize them. Who cares if Montgomery is getting 20 to 25 touches a game? Give him the ball. If that's what's working, give him the rock. You should not be hesitant of letting your running back do the job for you. I understand you're trying to – to to maximize Justin Fields and his player development this season, but if you're, if ultimately if you're trying to win games and you don't have a first round draft pick, why wouldn't you try to put your team in the best position to win? I feel like Matt Nagy didn't do that more uh, more often than not. So I'm fine with the firing, bringing somebody that's going to help Justin Justin Fields develop, or bringing someone. Truthfully, this is one of those those positions for me personally where I'm spitting all over the place where I would not mind that you bring in Brian Flores because this defense has the personnel. There are guys on this defense that can make plays, and you bring in a guy like Brian Flores that could definitely whip them into shape. You get Bring in an offensive coordinator that is going to help Justin Fields develop his game. I don't know what's going on with Pep Hamilton. If Pep Hamilton wants a head coaching job, given his track record, I think he should definitely get one. But if you bring him up to that next step of becoming an offensive coordinator, let him work behind just or let him work with Justin Fields. It definitely be interesting to see how his game develops. But this one's tough for me, truthfully, because I feel like they have good talent on both sides of the ball. They need to work on this offensive line before they can really start making some kind of noise. And ultimately, Matt Nagy wasn't that dude. Yeah, I agree. I'm more than fine. Both of these guys are just kind of stagnant. You know, they're they're not going to elevate your team. It doesn't seem like Nagy was great in 2018. Don't get me wrong. They went 12 and four. Mitch Trubisky, his rookie season, lead him to the playoffs. It looks like a home run higher, but in reality, they weren't that great. And it kind of showed in the next couple of years. While they were a top 10 scoring offense in 2018, they were 20th in yards per play, 20th in yards per game. And then that first playoff game against the Eagles, Nagy's first big game as a head coach, they scored 15 points. Now I know the it was the you know the kick that that double doinked or whatever and it was a bit unlucky but still only putting up 15 points and you're this offensive guru who just won 12 games I expect a little bit more from you and then the following years 2019 28th in scoring you go eight and eight 2020 21st in scoring you go eight and eight and then this past season 26th in scoring like you you're not even cracking top 15 you're supposed to be this offensive guru so it's hard for me to sit here and, and defend Matt Nagy when Matt Nagy when in reality the reason they were so great that his first season 2018 was because of the defense led by Vic Fangio. They were the number one defense that year. It was just uh, Nagy was just not able to develop Mitch. And this first season with Justin Fields, he hasn't made as much progress as a lot of us expected. And then he had a couple of, you know, other moves that you could make their argument. It was Matt Nagy's decision. Ryan Pace was involved too, but he wanted Nick Foles. They went out and traded from in March, 2020. That was a disaster. Mitch ends up winning the job in training camp anyway. So even though he won this veteran quarterback, Mitch ended up being the guy. His second playoff loss against the Saints, again, your offense scores nine points. You have 148 yards of offense. So I just can't get behind someone who is this offensive genius. And in the biggest moments, you're not able to step up to the plate. And then you look at this past season, 2021. Beginning of the offseason, it sounds like they were pretty deep in Russell Wilson talks. Who knows if it was, you know, Seattle who ended up pulling away or the Bears just couldn't come with a good enough offer. 
They ended up signing Andy Dalton, and what blew my mind was they named him the starter in March, which was just absolutely insane to me. This was before you drafted anyone, before you drafted Fields, before where you saw he was in training camp. I thought that was just malpractice. The Bears were 2-8 and eight in Fields' was 10 starts, so once you finally got what you think is that franchise quarterback, you're 2-8. and eight. He was last in QBR, so it, it seems like overall Nagy isn't an offensive genius. We all thought he would he made out to be. And then when it comes to Ryan Pace, he was hired in 2015. They had one winning season. It's hard to keep a GM job for six going on seven seasons. You only have one winning season. It's hard for me to get behind you. Like I mentioned with Spielman, he's going to have his fair share of good picks if you're a GM for six years. Eddie Jackson around four, Roquan Smith, David Montgomery round three, Darnell Moody around five. So he was good at you know picking those later round picks that ended up turning into some superstars or Darnell Mooney and David Montgomery, maybe not top of their position, but more than, you know, above average starters who are going to contribute to a team. But like everyone else, it's hard to miss. It's hard to be a good GM when you miss on the quarterback. You trade up that one spot for Mitch Trubisky and a draft with Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes. That's a, a complete F there. Um, Kevin White was obviously not a good pick there. And then you look back at the, the Cleo Mack trade where you give up two first round picks and Mac only has one season of double-digit sacks. So I know Mac is also kind of a, a culture changer when you bring him in, someone who's really going back to that root of the Bears defense. You know, that's what they were predicated on in the 80s when they had those those really good teams. He was only an all-pro one since turn, coming to the Bears. So I think looking back on it, probably not the best trade you can make, you can make there. But when I look at their head coaching search, I think – I don't know if he's going to interest in the NFL, but Jim Harbaugh who played for the bears was drafted by the bears. I think this is potentially a spot, you know, a organization that's respected a big name like this. Obviously he played there, like I just mentioned. So I think if there was one spot for Harbor to go, this wouldn't absolutely shock me. Ryan Pace. I thought it was okay. Um, he got fired because he picked Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes. It's, it's really simple as that, because when you look at his track record, it's not, it hasn't been that bad, but, that's the biggest whiff in recent memory of the draft, picking Trubisky over these guys. Matt Nagy never finished top 20 in offense in terms of yards in any of his seasons as the head coach of a Chicago Bear. I have been vocal in how I don't think he's a good coach. But now that the truth has come to surface about Matt Nagy, I'm wondering when Mitch Trubisky is going to get his shot. Because Mitch Trubisky, I don't think, is as bad as everybody thinks he is. He, he could... People thought Sam Donald was the was the actual Ryan Tannehill in terms of he's going to have that resurrection to his career. But that can very well be Mitch Trubisky because Nagy, you can make an argument, is the reason why he didn't pan out. And instead of looking at Nagy and saying he's the problem, we all pointed the finger at Mitch Trubisky. And that's why he was ultimately not he his option was not picked up. So I want to see where Trubisky goes. When talking about the Bears, the next coach, I mean, for one, I thought this was the right decision. I'm not a fan of Nagy. The next coach is going to be somebody who thinks Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback because your job is tied to Justin Fields. If Justin Fields fails as a quarterback, the Bears' next head coach is going to be fired in two to three seasons. It's as simple as that. So if they believe Justin Fields can be a franchise quarterback, which I have my doubts about, then... They will be the next head coach. Bill Polian is leading the search in this, and Bill Polian is somebody. Bill Polian is leading the general manager search. So the Bears hired him to lead the search, and he's somebody who has, as of recent years, said Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver. 
He did have success with the Buffalo Bills. He was their GM when they went to four straight Super Bowls. So he has a track record. He has a resume. But as of recently, he has said some wild stuff, and one can question whether or not he is outdated. But I do think Matt Nagy being fired was the right decision. I think it's about time this it's about time it's come to light that Matt Nagy's not a good offensive coach. I mean, the Bears' defense is what has been carrying them. I thought the Khalil Mack was and still is a great trade because if it wasn't for that, they would have never went 12-4 and four that year and made it to the playoffs. So I think that still was a great and is a, is, and is a great trade. But ultimately, I, I want to see Mitch Trubisky get another shot. I, I want to see if he truly is a bad quarterback or if he can have a Ryan Tannehill-like revival to his career. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Now, Vic Fangio, Drew, we had this topic the other week. You said you didn't want to fire him, but he did get fired. So what are your thoughts on this? It's a little bittersweet for me personally. I'm a big offense guy. If you haven't picked that up now, I'm, I'm more offense than I am defense. So when we first hired Vic Fangio, I wasn't, I didn't know much about him. I knew that he, you know, he had a great track record as a defensive coordinator. That being said, didn't really, I wasn't really invested when we brought him in. Wasn't that exciting name that I wanted. But he, he was he was all right for us, truthfully. It, defensively, this season, we were top seven in total yard given up. He, he, the personnel that we had this year, he needed to be successful, and he 100% did. We saw great – we saw Pat Sertan take – or have a great rookie season. Justin Simmons just continued to get better. Kareem Jackson, this late in his career, has just been amazing for us at the safety position. Then you have Bradley Chubb, who – First couple of years of his career kind of scared me. Wasn't sure if he was worth that top five pick that we took him at, but he's definitely come on and been a, uh, we need him to be our best edge rusher at this point in time, given the fact we traded Von Miller, but Bradley Chubb has definitely been not what we were expecting, but definitely a step in that right direction. I think he's a really good ball player. He did a great job for us. Secondary wise, getting to the quarterback, shout out to Vic Fangio. That being said, our offense was absolutely abysmal, and I'm glad we got rid of Pat Shermer, and, and he definitely wasn't uh, helping us out in that regard. But I want an offensive mind. I want to bring it. First off, we need a quarterback. With all due respect to Teddy, he's not raising our ceiling. We need a quarterback that's really going to do it for us, which is why I'm not upset at the Vic Fangio signing, given the fact that Nathaniel Hackett could become available to us, which also could lead Aaron Rodgers to potentially coming to suit up in the blue and orange, which would definitely be exciting. I've said on multiple occasions, I don't know how many times on the show already that we get Aaron Rodgers, we're going to the Super Bowl. I love Jerry Judy. I love Corinne's son, Noah Fan, Albert O. Who knows what's going to happen with Melvin Gordon. Personally, he's played fantastic for us. Shout out to Melvin Gordon, everything he did for us this year. I personally just think Javante Williams is everything you can want in a running back. Led the league in total broken tackles this year. Last year, I think in terms for rookies, he – is the second most to do it since Josh Jacobs, but did it on 50 less attempts. This guy, Javante Williams, is special. And if he has a full backfield to himself, he will be a top 10 back. And I feel like you need an offensive mind in this in this system. We have the personnel. You bring in a defensive coordinator that is just going to handle that, that side of the ball. We have the guys, Sertan, uh, Bryce Callahan. I don't know if we bring him back, given the fact that we just brought in Sertan, but I think that it would be in our best interest to bring him back, given the fact that we just lock up that secondary. Kyle Fuller, he's on a uh, – I don't know if it was a one-year or a two-year deal, but Kyle Fuller, which hurts. Ronald Darby, I know we, we signed to a deal, which I'm happy with. 
We have a great secondary. We need a middle linebacker. And it hurts that we didn't get Micah Parsons, but I'm not totally bitter given the fact that Pat Sertan is absolutely clamps on the outside. Doesn't matter where you put him. Pat Sertan is that dude. Will be a top five corner in the, in the league one day. However, I think our main focus needs to be offense. We've gone defense however many head coaches in a row. Uh, Vic Fangio, Vance Joseph, Fox, Kubiak, I can't. I feel I can't remember off the top of my head. Is Kubiak defense? No, nah, he's offense. He's offense. All right. And but we had Wade Phillips hold it down for us. And uh, ironically, Wade Phillips, God bless him. Did Wade Phillips pass away? I don't I think, think so. so. I, well, I don't know why. I don't know why in my memory I feel like Wade Phillips. Regard I I apologize to you, Wade Phillips, if you haven't passed away. I hope you're not dead. You God bless you for everything you did for the Broncos. Yeah, he's alive, bro. For the thank God. Thank God. I, I don't know why my mind thought that he passed away, but I'm glad he didn't. But we had success when Kubiak was our was offensive play caller for us, and we had Wade Phillips holding it down for us. We did have arguably the best defense of all time that year, but it paired with Peyton Manning not being the Peyton Manning that we're accustomed to carrying a team, but able to have Brock Brock Osweiler coming in and have success. Then Peyton Manning towards the back end of his career, 100%. And – I just think we need to change focus now. We need to be a little bit more offensive minded because we're in a division where Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr are in our in our division. We have to face them twice a year. Six games of the year we're facing top 15 quarterback at the minimum. So we need to bring in someone that's going to compete with these guys. We can't keep having another season where we lose to the Chiefs two times a year regardless of how close the games are. We need to come out against these guys and win one of these games because the divisions ultimately was killing us. We went 0-4 against the Chiefs and the, and the Chargers combined. I, I think we have the personnel defensively that we could just put a coordinator out there and they'll hold that down for us. Offensively is where we struggle. And you bring in Nathaniel Hackett, could definitely intrigue uh, Aaron Rodgers to come in. Or we go the complete opposite side of what I'm looking at and we bring in Brian Flores, who desperately wants Deshaun Watson. And Deshaun Watson could definitely be more intrigued to come play for us if we have Brian Flores as our head coach. The re- one of the main reasons why he was willing to waive his no-trade clause for the Dolphins was because of that relationship that he had with Brian Flores. Brian Flores, it's obvious what he can do on the defensive side of the ball. We have the personnel that we, if Brian Flores could make potentially bring us to the number one defense in the league, not that Vic Fangio couldn't, it's just that offensively it's hard when – the defense has to, you have to rely on the defense so often, especially once Teddy went out. Drew Locke's just not that dude. Defense had to do a lot for us. And we dropped from third to seventh, which still is fantastic. But now you give us, you bring in Nathaniel Hackey, you give us a chance to bring in Aaron Rodgers in, or you bring in Brian Flores and you give us a chance of bringing in Deshaun Watson. Either two of these options would make me beyond happy because now you're giving us a chance to bring in an elite level quarterback and really contend for the division and potentially Super Bowl. This was the wrong decision. And everything you're saying to justify the decision is dreams and hopes of trying to land this franchise quarterback. There is a there is a trend within all these coaches that have gotten fired outside of Mike Zimmer. And even him, you can categorize him in this category, too. They all got fired because they don't they don't they don't have a quarterback. The Giants don't have a quarterback. The Broncos don't have a quarterback. The Bears don't have a quarterback. The Vikings have a quarterback, but he doesn't perform in big time games, so they lose them, and that's why you can make an argument they're not in the playoffs right now. And Brian Bears Flores have a quarterback? The Bears don't have a quarterback. Who's their quarterback? 
Quarterback's TBD. Yeah, it's to be determined. He's not an established quarterback right now. And then the Dolphins, Tua. You know, they don't have a quarterback for the most part. Jesus. Vic Fangio is the pioneer of the NFL modern defense. You name me a great defensive coordinator. You name me a great defensive scheme in the NFL. Vic Fangio is the one who pioneered it. Brandon Staley with the Chargers. That that's Fangio's scheme. Like Fangio's been that good. <laughs> what do you mean? They're top. They're one of the top defenses. The Chargers. They were. Yeah. Their secondary is good. They run defense last night, and their scoring defense was was bottom of the league. But even that, Vic Fangio is the pioneer of the modern NFL defense. You look at all the defenses currently that are running. Vic Fangio is the one who is the who godfathered the scheme. It's a cover three scheme. It's it's a play. It's a it's a we're stopping the pass more than a run scheme. That's what it is. And Fangio did a great job in Denver. Like you're the you're the third ranked defense in terms of points and the eighth in terms of yards. The only part he whiffed in was the OC and Pat Shermer and. You can even say starting Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke, but it was a pick-your-poison kind of thing. If Vic Fangio started Drew Locke and Drew Locke wasn't good and you guys won six games, Fangio was getting fired. If he started Teddy Bridgewater, which he did, and the Broncos win eight to nine games, he still gets fired. So ultimately, you guys just didn't have the quarterback, and that's why Fangio got fired. If you guys had a quarterback... Fangio would still be in the job. And that's just the bottom line. And a lot of these coaches got fired because of that exact same reason. I will say, when teams face Fang- when teams face Fangio for the second time, they do figure him out. And the offense numbers they put up in the first match versus the second, it's like they're facing a completely different defense. I mean, Fangio's defense falls off a cliff. But ultimately, I think Fangio did enough with your defense, given he's a defensive head coach, he did enough with your defense, with your team, that the only position that was missing was the quarterback position. And he got fired because your quarterbacks aren't very good. Teddy Bridgewater's okay. He's good. But Drew Locke, you know, he also got fired because he whiffed on that development. But how how much further can you develop Drew Locke? You know, is he going to be that guy? He still has talent. But really, Fangio, I think, w- was just caught in the crossfire of the organization trying to find a scapegoat for the reason why your quarterback position still sucks. Yeah, and that's the story of the NFL. If you don't have a quarterback, someone's got to be the scapegoat. If you, you know have multiple seasons in a row of not making the playoffs, it's obvious that Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL. You guys are the first team since the 1990s to have a top three scoring defense and not make the playoffs. And then obviously there's never any drama coming out of Denver. You don't hear any issues with the locker room or players speaking out about Fangio front office, having issues, assistant coach. Like that's, that's, you know, that, that point is mute, you know, like Fangio is the great leader. He's a great defensive coach, but the way the NFL is going, I don't blame you for wanting an offensive minded coach. You guys have started seven quarterbacks in Fangio's 10 Fangio's tenure, which is the most in the league. Drew Locke was actually the quarterback who was the most frequent starter. And I think we all agree here that Drew Locke probably isn't an NFL starting quarterback at this time. But at this point, and, you know, the way your team has been built, you spent all this draft capital on offense with guys like Judy Sutton, Fant, uh, KJ Hamler, who ended up getting hurt. But still, all of this talent draft capital that has been put on the offensive side of the ball. 
But when you don't have a quarterback, there's only so much you can do. So from Fangio's perspective, it is hard to fire him. And I was on board too, Drew. I, I agreed that you guys probably should fire him and move on because at this point, if you don't get a quarterback, or I, I should say rather, if you don't figure out the offense in general and he hasn't been able to figure out the OC, it goes hand in hand with the, with the quarterback regardless. So if you do have the opportunity to get one of these guys from the Packers or even um, you know, Brian Flores and having that Deshaun Watson connection, I think you have to go out and try that. And I do have faith in George Patton. I think he's a very good GM. He was supposed to be the heir apparent to Spielman and the, uh, in Minnesota, but they were just a year too late. They ended up firing Spielman this year and Patton became the GM last year. So I'm hoping that, you know, George Patton, who already came out and said, you're doing an extensive search. When I looked last night or the night before, you guys already put in requests for nine different coordinators in terms of interviews. So I think yeah. that's always a good first step in terms of interviewing a bunch of guys and then eventually, you know, narrow it down to figure out the guy you want. But like you mentioned, you guys had back-to-back defensive coordinator or defensive coaches being your head coach. So I also think you go the offensive route here. If it is maybe a Brian Dable, or if you do think there's a legitimate chance you can get Aaron Rodgers and you go and you steal one of the quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator. I don't hate that as uh, I don't hate that as well. You guys have also reached out to Kevin O'Connell, who was the Rams OC. He's really the one who developed a scheme for Stafford this season as well. I think that'd be interesting hire too. Um, I don't hate it. You know, it's not a a plus like it was for a Nagy or a Joe Judge. We'll get into in a little bit. But yeah. I, I also think you know at some point in the NFL you can't be good enough, which is the problem that Zimmer had. You know, you could. You could win eight to nine, 10 games in the NFL, maybe make the playoffs, but that's also the worst spot to be in where you're going to have the 15th pick in the draft every year. You're never going to be good enough to win the Super Bowl, but you're never going to have a chance to get a, a franchise quarterback in the draft and quarterbacks to come in free agency or trade are just few and far between. So I'd like the chance, go out there, you know, stick your neck out and, and let Patton go and get his guy. I think he, you have the right mind there. And then once you get the offensive minded coach, now you can go get your quarterback. So I misspoke on the Fangio thing. It's not a cover three defense. It's a two-man shell defense. Cover three is is a scheme that Dan Quinn runs. But the two-man shell defense is geared towards stopping the pass. So when you see defenses not stop the box, not not stack the box, that's basically Vic Fangio's defense. Brandon Staley runs it. Joe Barry in Green Bay runs that exact same defense. Vic Fangio pioneered that. And it's taking storm in the entire NFL. You see most teams, if not at least half of them, use that style of defense because it is a more pass-happy pass happy league now. Now, on to the last coach, Joe Judge. A right or wrong decision? I mean, I think this was the right one. I, I, I am kind of annoyed with the timing that it came with, though, because Joe Judge was the last coach fired out of every coach. And the only reason I think he was fired last is because the Giants, the Mar- Damaras, they weren't planning on firing him. They were going to let him be the coach next year, but they saw all the media pressure from the media nationally, locally, that, oh, man, everybody wants Joe Judge gone. They felt the hopelessness in the air, so they said, yeah, we need to make a decision quick. We need to fire Joe Judge. But I don't think they were going to fire Joe Judge had it not been for the pressure of the media getting to them. But it was the right decision, ultimately. 100%. Yeah, we talked about it. So, yeah, uh, we talked about this weeks ago when we talked about who has a better future, Judge or Giants. And I said, I think Judge and Gettleman should both go. Now, Gettleman retired. However you want to, you know, however you want to slice that, whatever. Gettleman was going to get fired if he didn't get retired. Joe Judge also has to go as well. There's just, it's really hard to, for especially if you want to hire a GM. 
So you're not only does he have a quarterback he's stuck with, but now he's stuck with the head coach he didn't pick. It's really hard to get a qualified GM who you're really going to be excited about and tell him, listen, you're going to have to wait at least one season because we want this quarterback and we want this head coach. Joe Judge just didn't work out. You know, it was another person from the Belichick tree where it doesn't sound like he was necessarily a bad guy in terms of, you know, the issues that Zimmer had, but he just, he didn't get it done. And then you have those issues like we saw in the last game of the regular season where, listen, I understand you're on your third string quarterback, but while you're running quarterback sneaks and you're giving up, you know, week 18, you're not even saying we're not even going to try to win. Like I saw the Jets go out, Jets go out there with guys like Mike White and Josh Johnson, and they put up good games. Now that's a bit different because it's still offensive scheme, but at the end of the day, you have to go out there and compete still, which is why we had an issue with big Ben saying we don't have a chance, you know? So I think Joe Judge and Gettleman, I, I tweeted out yesterday, this is the best move the Giants have made in over five years. There's no way you can retain Joe Judge, expect a higher GM that is really someone you could get excited about, bring the fans behind. And Joe Judge just didn't really seem to bring anything too much to the play. Their offense was not good. Their defense had some moments last season, this year overall, though it hasn't been that great. And he's a special teams guy. And their special teams hasn't been that good either. He we uh, One of our good friends, Max, who's actually a Patreon, shout out to him. He brings up all the time. Nice. He's a special teams guy. We never see any trick plays. Where are the fake punts, the fake field goals, something on, you know, a punt return or kick return to get us excited. So what do you really bring into this offense? It didn't seem like he could really put together good coaching staff as well. So if you're a Giants fan, you should be really excited. I mean, I know it's not the perfect situation. You don't have really any cap. I want to say they're fourth or fifth least in terms of cap, but you have two top 10 picks. Daniel Jones, I'm not high on. I know Drew has a little more faith in him, but you have some pieces there and you could really start the rebuild now, even though Daniel Jones might be not might not be the quarterback of the future. It's kind of similar to what we saw with Sam Darnold. That first year, you're going to be bad. The Giants are going to be bad next year, but then you could really struggle the next year where it should be a better quarterback class, potentially get a top five pick. Now you could go get your guy. You have your head coach, your GM, and your quarterback all on the same timeline. And now you could finally set the rebuild up. And then in a couple of years from now, hopefully you're competing for a playoff spot. So I'm guessing here, Actually, Drew, yeah. you, you think it was the right decision, correct? Oh, without a doubt, both of them. But great decisions. Dave Gettleman is one of the worst GMs in the NFL. You look back at that Odell trade with the Giants. You go and you and you trade Odell. You, you, trade, you trade for Zeitler and a first-round pick. Jabril, you too. You don't even... You get Jabril 100%. That's the player that you decide to keep. Love Jabril. Shout out to you. Jersey native. Went to Paramus Catholic. The reason why I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan, I'm happy that he plays in New York. At least I get to see him whenever I go to the Giants game. Unfortunately, he was out for the season this year. But you don't even bring back the piece that you desperately needed with Kevin Zeidler on that O-line. You let him go to Baltimore, and he has a fantastic year over there. And I think the Giants are in a good spot because – you have two picks in the top 10. You go and you address both needs, offensive line, pass rusher. It's that simple if you're the Giants. I think you add to this offensive line. You already have a great cornerstone in Andrew Thomas. So long as he's on the field, that offensive line's different. You add another piece to that. Maybe you bring in a center like Neil from Alabama. Who You bring in an, a, a solid edge rusher. Jacksonville might be willing to move that pick. If you want that edge rusher over – uh, the offensive line. Maybe you trade both those picks and you move up and you potentially get Aiden and, and, and from, from Michigan. Maybe that's what you want to do. But personally, I think that you should just stay where you are. Take, take a defense, uh, a pass rusher of any sort. You bring in an offensive line like Neil from Alabama. 
and you really try to protect Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I'm not saying that he is going to be a top 10 quarterback next year. I just think he's going to be a lot better than what the Giants had been given this year. Earlier in the year, we saw when their guys were healthy, Daniel Jones was playing, uh, was having some success. We were talking about Daniel Jones finally taking that leap. Sterling goes down. You have Daniel Jones get hurt that week against Dallas. Z- uh, Saquon goes out that week. Kenny, da- Kenny Galladay goes out that week. That Dallas game was basically the Giants season coming to an end before it could even get going. They had solid weeks against the Saints. A great game against the, the, the football team where Daniel Jones rushed for over 90 yards and a touchdown. Opening day was rough against against the Broncos. Broncos just came out and they they kind of sucker punched them. But Daniel Jones definitely was solid as well. Sterling Shepard going down was ter- was so crucial for the Giants because that was their that was Daniel Jones's guy. Sterling goes out. You have Galladay go out. Daniel Jones has a concussion. They really couldn't get anything going offensively. You lose Saquon for three weeks. The Giants' seasons have been decided very early in the year. I believe it or not, if they nail this draft with both the rusher and the offensive line, I'm not looking at them being terrible next season. I feel like their defense was it was really bad this year because their offense could not stay on the field by any means. You had Fromm and you had Mike Glennon, who were horrific. If you played fantasy, you knew week in, week out, you were playing whatever defense was going against the Giants. They were, for from weeks 13 to week 18, the worst team in the NFL. So now... Judge has to go because Judge was not a special, did not specialize in neither offense or defense. And I feel like John Harbaugh is the lone exception for this. Maybe you guys could tell me other guys that that were special teams or not offense, defense that could come in and be head coach and really be effective. Joe Judge, like Joe mentioned, did not do anything on special teams that really was exciting that could give the Giants some kind of advantage. But when it came to time management. Joe Judge was horrific in that in that sense as well. And pressers, Joe Judge was horrific talking to the media. This is just a Giants organization that should be respected. And these last couple of years, since Eli had been on the decline and since Eli has retired, the Giants have been to a degree a laughing stock. You bring you need to uh, you need a culture shock terribly. And I don't think that it goes with starts with the players. I think it starts with the front office. And I think the Giants understand that and they've done a great job. And, and getting and allowing Gettleman to walk away, he was told to he was told to retire, so he didn't have that blemish on his resume. And firing Joe Judge, bring in someone. Here we go. Bring in bring in Brian Flores. Bring in someone that's going to elevate that defense. Who we saw two years ago that could be a, a top a top ten defense in the league, number nine in total points given up. They have the personnel. They just need to get healthy. Again, they nailed this these first two picks. The Giants could be good next season. And as long as this offense is healthy, I do believe in the Giants offense to be successful. Again, I'm not projecting Daniel Jones to have a top 10 season. I just think he will be better than what he has shown towards the back end of this season. All right, you brought up an interesting point that I want to talk about a little bit, or I want to just ask you a question right here. Um, We're three years into Daniel Jones's career. I think the consensus on him is that he's not a franchise quarterback. We haven't seen enough. But do you have any hope for Daniel Jones going into next season? Now that they fired Joe Judge, it's very likely a new head coach wants a new quarterback. If you're that new head coach, do you want to keep running it back with Daniel Jones and see what he has for one year? Or are you done? Or are you trying to find a quarterback? I'll start with you, okay. Joe. Oh, you Joel or Joe? Joe. <laughs> All right. 
it's funny. We actually had this debate in our group chat last night. We were we were going back and forth, and me and a good amount of our friends are all out on Daniel Jones. He had what was the stat? Drew sixty eight turnovers in thirty eight games. Something yeah, absolutely something terrible, ridiculous, terrible. You can't even. I understand that you can make strides here and there. But when you have that many turnovers, he had a huge fumbling issue his rookie year. He has brought that back a little bit since then, but still has an issue with interceptions. He's not the most accurate passer. He is very mobile, which is something you know. It's good to say he does have a strong arm, so he has some talent there. I just think when you have bad decision making, the coaching hasn't been great. I understand that. I understand the weapons haven't all been healthy at the same time, but part of being a franchise quarterback, and I understand he's young, it's only year three, but part of being a franchise quarterback is being able to overcome, you know, unfortunate circumstances like having a bad coach, having a bad old line or having bad weapons. I know when they all culminate together, it's not ideal, but they've had moments where Saquon has been healthy, where they've had Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard on the field together. So I, I look at Daniel Jones and I'm kind of looking at it like the sun cost fallacy. Like, I understand you use a six overall pick on him, but at some point you have to cut bait and just say, hey, we have to take our losses and move on. Because I don't see a world where Daniel Jones comes out next year and has a spectacular season. We're also coming to the point where you have to make a decision on his fifth-year option. I believe it's this offseason they have to decide if they want to pick up his fifth-year option. And then after that, you could play the franchise tag game if you really want to, but now you're paying him as a top-five quarterback. So, And that's all dependent on if he comes out and plays much better than he has his first three years in his career. It's very similar to what the Jets dealt, dealt with Sam Darnold. They have the luxury of waiting one more year because this draft class, I don't think I don't think there's any way you could take a quarterback with either of those two, two top 10 picks. So you have another year to evaluate Daniel Jones with another new coaching staff, but then you're going to have the same excuses. Now he has another new head coach, another new offensive coordinator. He has to learn another new system. So it's going to be hard for me to really sit here and defend Daniel Jones I've seen enough of him. It's been three years. Maybe he could be a solid a starter somewhere else. I just think it's time for the Giants is coming to an end soon. I just think that when he has his guys in the lineup, Daniel Jones is a serviceable, serviceable quarterback. Do I think that he's a franchise guy? That's tough to say. If you're out on Daniel Jones, there's nothing I could say to you or nothing that I could – feel that allows me to say that why do you think that he has shown multiple times that there are reasons to believe he is not that guy so I get it if you're out on Daniel Jones it's understandable without a doubt however I look at this season and I look at when Andrew Andrew Thomas played and I look at when Saquon was in the lineup and I look at when Sterling Shepard was in the lineup Daniel Jones was having success regardless of how you want to look at it wins or losses he was having success you lose Andrew Thomas the offensive line is is night and day. It goes from being uh, from allowing very minimal pressure from his blind side to allowing the most pressure in the league from that blind side. And you see the Giants when Daniel Jones is in the lineup and when he's out of the lineup. When he's in the lineup, they're losing games, but it's at least close games. They're actually they're in the game. When he's out of the lineup, they're the worst team in the league by far. And whether this is a Daniel Jones thing or maybe it's just a complete Giants thing. I'm going to look at it from the perspective of Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm make the Giants the worst team in the NFL, and Daniel Jones allows them to at least stay afloat. Now, if his guys are healthy next season, which it, it seems to be the case every season, Saquon can't stay healthy. Sterling Shepard has struggled to stay on the field. Kenny Galladay these last couple of seasons has struggled to stay on the field. Tony coming in, who has some explosiveness to his game, struggled to stay on the field this season. So it's 
it's asking a lot to say, hey, guys, please stay on the field, help Daniel Jones out, try and stay in the best fitness possible. But we see when they do, Daniel Jones can be successful. So I do believe in Daniel Jones this next season if these guys stay healthy. If these guys aren't there, it's going to be tough for him, no doubt, and I can understand moving on. I think the Giants have a very tough decision when it comes to Daniel Jones. And I know that sounds crazy because to this point, a lot of people have already written off Daniel Jones as a bust. But when I look at the Giants, when I look at Daniel Jones, I look at a quarterback who hasn't had much of a chance to succeed at all. And as a rookie, he threw 24 touchdowns. Yes, he had a bunch of turnovers. And that's still a main, a main problem. But when you look at Daniel Jones, he has a good enough arm. He's a mobile quarterback. And he ha- the talent, I think, is there. But when you look at what the Giants have surrounded him with, he's had a different offensive coordinator every single year he's been with the Giants. All of his skilled position players have been injured. At some point, you have to say, do we truly know who Daniel Jones is yet? Because there hasn't been enough around him for us to truly evaluate him as a quarterback. And early in this se- earlier this season, when there was enough around him, he was the second best quarterback according to PFF. And I don't think PFF is his perfect place for grades and stuff. But, I mean, that's something. And I think he was showing flashes of being taking that third-year leap. I ultimately think that this is a very tough decision. I don't think this is an easy one. Unless the Giants are getting somebody like Russell Wilson then it's a no-brainer. But if they're not getting a franchise-changing guy, if their best options are quarterbacks like Teddy Bridgewater or Jimmy G, quarterbacks that are good but they're not great, then it's much better to just run it back with Daniel Jones and see what he has because I think there's still some untapped potential there. So I looked it up. It was 65 turnovers in 38 games. And the conversation we're having right now is the same exact conversation we had with Darnold, who the talent's there, but look what the Jets have surrounded him with. Look at the coaching staff Sam Darnold's had. He has potential. Maybe some of it is untapped. And then look what happens. He goes to Carolina, which we think is a great situation with an offensive-minded coach, and he's been terrible this year. So I if think, you go out and trade Daniel Jones for a second-round pick right now, I would do it. I think Daniel Jones has showed more than Sam. Sam had moments, too. Like Drew mentioned in that three-game stretch early in the year. Sam Darnold had the same stretch at the end of his rookie year and his minor year as well. He had stretches where he looked really good. At year three, I'm kind of overseeing stretches here and there. Like, you need to start putting – game after game after game together. But even Sam hasn't had the perfect situation. Like Carolina is one of the worst ranked offensive lines in football. I know, bro. But like you still have DJ Moore and Robbie and CMC was there for a good amount of time. Terrence Marshall didn't work out, but he was a highly rated prospect. We thought Matt Rule was going to be a really good offensive coordinator with Joe Brady. Matt Rule is a defensive coach, though. I should have said with Brady, but regardless. And then look, bro, uh, Cam Newton came in and looked terrible. He looked even worse. So, you know, like, I I just think maybe that's in general that offense wasn't working or, you know, their their skill positions. But at least on paper and with Joe Brady, who coming into the year, I think we were at least higher on Joe Brady than we were Adam Gase. So I just look at the situation as very similar. But like I said, if I could get a second for Daniel Jones, like the Jets did for Sam Darnold, I would do it. Yeah, so this is going to do it for episode 145 of the Pick Aside podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside podcast on Twitter at PickersidePod. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time.